Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. You know one thing, Kevin, that I was thinking about on the way in that is, I guess, kind of an unfair thought that I've had about a professional athlete for a number of years. I have... Is this going to be James Harden? Yes. James Harden, who, by the way, the combination between the balding on top and the beard, he kind of looks like the caricature of Ben Franklin that the Sixers use from time to time in terms of the distribution of hair. But I always felt like, especially when he was kind of bounced around there from Brooklyn and Oak City and everything else, I always felt like James Harden was one of those guys that didn't play defense, just kind of went out and got numbers for James Harden and didn't really, just was kind of there. And I guess I haven't necessarily publicly recognized it, not like he's listening to this program and needs some sort of affirmation, but I think there's a level of maturation and really, I think, respectable nature about James Harden and the fact that when he has gone now, like in particular in Philadelphia, he appears to me to be a guy that is totally comfortable and capable of being a number two and just being a complimentary piece until something happens where he's needed and he has to elevate his game to carry his team. And he, at that point, has that level to turn up the wick and do it. And he did that last night. 45 for Philly. They, I guess you'd say, upset Boston to take a one nothing lead. But I'll give him credit. Like, he's a guy that I always kind of thought was just one of those, like, eh, just wants to go out and get his numbers and get his money and go home. And I think he's more of a team player than he's been given credit. Did you catch his wardrobe walking into the arena last night? That was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. I, Everything say, nice. I, th- I thought you were going there first. Well, I mean, that was... You're a big fashion guy. It looked like he was going to the Met Gala. He had on... He. I'm going to go back to... Fashion, to me, is a lot like the foodie stuff. I have told you before. You could open a restaurant. If you were in Paris... Like, if I, if I moved to Indianapolis from Paris, and I was 100% French and I opened a restaurant, Taste of Paris, and I opened it on Mass Ave, and I literally served long cylindrical, or like long rectangular, I guess, china plates, and I slabbed two things of Sheba cat food, just the gelatinous Sheba cat food right on the plate, and put a drizzle of balsamic and a little leaf on it. So, and Plop a mayo, maybe, just yeah, to spice it up a no, little. No, no mayo. No, 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 no. That ruins the whole thing. But then I call it, you know, like, seven degrees. There are people that would be like, oh, it's amazing. It's so artistic. Just because they feel that's it, you're supposed to think that, right? Because it's, boy, this guy seems cultured. And like the same thing with wearing a, a pair of pants that look like something off of a like a scarecrow. And then I don't know what James Harden had on, but people are like, he just looks so fashionable. No, he looks like an idiot. 
But because he makes $40 million a year, it's assumed that that's really fashionable. Those look like pairs of jeans I had back in the day when, like, Jinko jeans were in. Well, that's that or uh, like I thought I he was, like, going on a trip to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe those were his snow pants that he was rocking there. Uh, certainly didn't look like an idiot on the floor. No doubt. Um, at, at all. And this, along with Jimmy Butler and Steph Curry, we have seen now some pretty darn special playoff performances. And that was an upset. There's no doubt about it. The Celtics were a 10.5-point favorite. No Joel Embiid. And I think it's fair to ask, considering how Harden has looked in recent years, does he still have nights like that in him? You know, it, it, he has played certainly second fiddle, third fiddle to, you know, teams he's been on here as of late, and with him beat out, and that's not good news at all, I think, for the Sixers. Granted, they just went up 1-0, but, you know, the fact that he, they were off for a week and Joel Embiid still didn't play in game one, you know, I, I don't know if they can win this series but boy what what a performance and what a just awful turnover by Malcolm Brogdon late in that game it was one of those passes where it's like was he throwing that game did Brogdon have the Sixers money line in that one Uh, his only turnover the night Brogdon throws it away with the Celtics up one late and then obviously Harden makes a step back right in Al Horford's face there Uh, 76ers take game one on the road and then I when you see the Nuggets Sun score, you're, you're kind of like, wait, is that just, did they only play three quarters last night? So 97 87? I only lasted three quarters. 97 to 87. Nikola Jokic, 39 and 16. Chris Paul exited early with a groin injury. The Nuggets are up 2 0 in that series. The Nuggets, Kevin, for a team that we don't talk a lot about. The Nuggets have, you know, Jamal Murray had 10 last night. He could go for 40 any night. Aaron Gordon, we talk nothing about. He's a really good player for them, and he does a lot of different things on the wing. I, I, I think he's he's a really good talent. Jeff Green's like 106 years old and still gives them some minutes. I mean, they've got a nice team. I, you, you don't hear a lot about the Nuggets, and now you kind of understand – in the years when the Pacers were putting together 55 and 60 win teams, what the rest of the, the country must have felt like about the Indiana Pacers. That's how you feel about the Denver Nuggets, right? You're like, well, these guys are actually pretty good. Percentage of our listening audience that can name the Nuggets head coach? Two. Two percent? Or two total people. Well, it might <laughs> be the same. Percentage, percentage of this studio that could name the Nuggets head coach? I, I can. Mark? I'm blanking on the first name. It's Malone, though. It is. Mike. Mike Malone. Good old Mike. Good old Mike Malone. Uh, Nuggets up 2-0. Tonight, we'll get Game 2 from Madison Square Garden. Heat and Knicks and the Lakers and Warriors will kick things off. Good Tuesday morning to you. It certainly looks much better outside than it did yesterday. I thought I saw yesterday the coldest May 1st in over 100 years. I think that's right. Yeah. Global well, warming it. what? Come on now. Well, actually, I can tell you, Kevin, I just got done studying the difference between global warming, climate uh, climate change, and temperature. We won't get into that, but um, yeah, it was not pretty yesterday. Uh, we will have Pat Fitzgerald, head coach of Northwestern, joining us at 9 o'clock. Uh, Colts took two of his players uh, in round four and round five. Uh, over the weekend, so we'll chat with him about that. And then Will Hewlett, the uh, quarterback's coach for Anthony Richardson, he is going to join us here coming up at 8.30. Can I tell Pat Fitzgerald 
I'm not going to say that I have a man crush on him, but can I tell him that like I just he just seems like a cool dude? Yeah, I have heard good things about him. You know what I mean? Like he just room. seems like a Pat Fitzgerald seems to me, and, and would it be creepy if I told him this? He just seems like a guy that if I had a son that played football, that I would be thrilled if he was going to play for Pat Fitzgerald. You know, just I like his not program. a lot of winning though. I know they've four draft picks and one win last year. My fake son would like to commit to your team, sir. What's that? Do you have a spot for Boo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could Boo run out of the? You tunnel? are the Wildcats. I've got a cat of my own. There you go. I'm kind of a cat dad. He's... If you know what that means. <laughs> It's Pat Fitzgerald, the longest. I forgot, by the way. Uh, Thursday, Boo and I have an appointment at Olin Mills. We're getting photos taken. Oh, for the, should should I do the library backdrop or the fake wooden fence backdrop? <laughs> Whatever Boo wants, <laughs> as long as the coupon works. Is Pat Fitzgerald the longest Big Ten coach not named Kirk Ferentz? Or am I forgetting about? Okay, somebody? that's a good question. Let's think about this for a second. Uh, certainly, Nebraska, no, because they change every eight months. Um, Rutgers in Maryland. How long has the guy been at Rutgers? Five years? Four years? Wow, Shiano's been there that long. Um, or not Rutgers, I'm sorry, Maryland. How long has Maryland had their coach? Loxley, yeah, probably probably right around there. Rutgers is like in the third longer. year, but we're not sure they're in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State. Harbaugh? How long has he been there? Yeah, Harbaugh. I guess how long has Fitzgerald been there? Probably start there. I mean, it's got to be over a decade, right? I'm looking. I mean, people like... Threw his name around for an NFL job. Second longest, someone just texted me. Yeah, he's Chris been head coach since 2006. Yeah, so it's got to be, Okay, right? yeah. Ference and then him. And I don't even know who would be third on that list. Maybe it is Harbaugh. Maybe it is Franklin. Hell, Tom Allen's coached at IU for like six years now. Tom Allen's got to be in the top half. I was surprised that. that Indiana didn't get a single player drafted. Weren't you? Didn't it seem like the law? I mean... Did you get one go late? Well, you'd think. Um, I saw Washington didn't have a player drafted. They won like 10 games last year. Michael Penix going to be drafted pretty high next year, it sounds like. Well, he'll be 31, though, right? Uh, I, he will be on the older side. I believe he's, he's, he's in the Will Levis camp. And he also is coming. You know, he's got an injury history. you got to wonder if that will hurt him. He's been a wonderful player. He's going to be a great player for, again, for them again this year. University of Washington Football Stadium, by the way, uh, not a – Super high architecture, like I mean, it's a awesome view. Have you you've been to it? I mean, it's just seen on TV. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, you go into it and you look to your right, and there's Lake Washington. Seattle is so pretty and so cool. Uh, I've always liked UW, as they call it out there. Always I, liked it. I love how much lighter it is now in the morning. Oh, are you kidding me? This is it's glorious. Night and day, literally, or day and night. It does make a huge difference, and I think that you know, I, I think for me, Kevin, the month of May. Not necessarily right now, but once the track gets going and things warm up a little bit, you know, that week of practice and everything else, and really everyone turns the page towards the Indy 500, it's a pretty full dance card, and and yet it's easy because it's light out. I mean, that makes all the difference in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's supposed to be, I think, really nice the rest of this week. So good news for those uh, taking part in the mini coming up this weekend. Um Mark, we're going to have Doug Bowles, you said, on every Monday here in the month of May? Every Monday now through the day after the race. Nice. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, Doug Bowles was on with us yesterday, if you missed that. Um, Again, nothing on track out there uh, until late next week with the Grand Prix coming up a week from Saturday. And then two weeks from today is when things will start 
on the Oval. Uh, on the Colts front, Anthony Richardson and the Colts rookies will, re- I guess in Richardson's case, he'll return to Indy, seeing how he's already been here once um, as a member of the Colts for the uh, opening press conference on Friday. Uh, they'll be back Thursday night to start a rookie minicamp this weekend. So that will be Anthony Richardson's first time on the field coming up on Friday. And then starting next week is in they get reacclimated with the veterans. And that will be how the rest of the offseason program um, really goes for the Colts. We can get into more of the draft picks today, some of those that we did not cover uh, yesterday. And um, certainly look ahead to, I think, what will be a pretty highly anticipated rookie minicamp this weekend. Uh, last night, or yesterday, I should say, you had mentioned not exactly the best day, kind of gross out. Um, but last night, Mike Thompson and I began our month-long program of Beyond the Bricks. Started at 8 o'clock last night. We'll run again tonight at 8 o'clock. As a matter of fact, in tonight's program, we do or will do what we probably will do each and every year that we're fortunate enough to do this particular show beyond the bricks which is a look at kind of the audio archives excuse me of the indianapolis motor speedway the indianapolis 500 history as told through radio clips and old commercials and things like that Uh, it was actually 46 years ago today that the world lost sid collins who was kind of the original voice of the indy 500 not even kind of um the architect of the IMS radio network and the original play-by-play chief announcer for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway radio network passed away 46 years ago today. So we kind of take a look back at Sid Collins, some of his greatest moments, best interviews that he did, because he always had different dignitaries coming in. Uh, That's tonight at 8 o'clock. So we did the show last night, and then uh, I watched the penultimate episode of a million little things did you tell me your wife watches that kevin yeah um she does we actually went the other way we watched that 100 days to indy last night what'd you think um i thought it was fine i i I didn't blow me away by any means but i've always said this about the with the next pick series for the colts hard knocks you know whatever give me behind the scenes content like that is great it's unique it's not stuff that you're going to get um, there were several times throughout the episode where Maddie is watching it and said, oh, wow, I like Scott McLaughlin. Oh, wow, I like Scott McLaughlin's wife. Or, oh, I didn't realize that's that was need, part right? of race weekend. And that's all that matters. Yep. You know, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter certainly to you, Jake, because you are in like the .1 percentile when you're talking about IndyCar, you know, whatever, fans, knowledge base, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, she did mention to me like this content seems a little bit more wholesome than like Drive to Survive with the F1. Um, and, and certainly from entertainment value, it was much more dialed back than the glitz and the glamour of F1. And part of that, I think, is just IndyCar. Um, but I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, again, nothing crazy, um, but give me behind-the-scenes content and hopefully continue to kind of showcase those drivers on a little bit more of a outside-of-the-helmet level. And then you see last night the news that the Vice Network, which is the one that puts together that program, filed bankruptcy yesterday I did see so that. they you know who knows what that means bankruptcy i think i think a lot of people hear bankruptcy for a company and they think that's it they're shutting the doors right now and it's like a lot valley of times, sports we saw yeah a lot of times it's like well no they're just reshuffling i so i i do not know because i know it's a, a an understandable and a common question of what does this mean for that show moving forward you know they've got four episodes already in the can. They've only scheduled to do six. So every Thursday is that right? Yeah, and I don't. So I don't know exact Thursdays at 
uh, I believe it's 9 o'clock Eastern, 8 o'clock Central on CW, and then it goes on to the app. I, I don't know what it and means. And that's how we watch, by the way. I, know, I was confused originally how I'm going to watch. The app is free, so as long as you're willing to sit through a handful of commercials every 10 minutes, that's right. pretty easy for me. So that's how we consumed it. Yeah, but McLaughlin, I thought... I mean, we know just from having him on, he's a pretty cool guy, right? Uh, yeah, uh, agreed. But you know, again, Jake, that is a you know a little ten minute segment. You know, once I mean, hell, we we've had him on once, and you know, obviously, people aren't necessarily uh, consuming that that part of it. But you know, his story of you know marrying American, um, they really have taken him kind of under his wing as just kind of being his son here and, and traveling to the races and all of that. Uh, that was really cool, and I think more of the buildup around the five hundred will resonate a little bit more with the common fan, but yeah, I thought it was a good watch. Uh, that sun is coming in hot, mm-hmm. <laughs> as that opposed is. to cold. God, Mar- it's so much is better it, looking. Is this yesterday. the earliest that we're going to have to pull the drapes? Well, Seven, I mean, I remember 16? I asked you to do it one time. You're like, oh, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing things. I'm doing a radio show, Mark. What am I, I doing? Do, I do live radio. What's that? What am I doing? I don't know exactly. Playing Candy what, Crush? I don't know what you are Without doing. Without Mark, we, we don't go on air. <laughs> All I know is, Mark, Mark, we go on the air at the beginning of the segment, right? And then occasionally, you push fun buttons, and then, you, as far as I know, you're eating cereal until we go to break, right? I don't push fun buttons. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're over there, and then when we tell you to, you push a button again, and then we go to break, right? Radio Monkey. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Mark, I think of you much, much higher than that. Well, Well, thank you, Kevin. You know what someone said to me yesterday? They said, you know, the thing about your show I like is that Mark is pretty funny because he mostly... Now, this is... This was a a listener... A listener uh, vantage point or interpretation. They said, Mark, more often than not, teams up with one of the two of us, Kevin, to gang up on the other one. Now, which one do you think that they said that he more often than not sides with in going against the other one? Um, that's a good question. Mark, um, which do you feel was the answer? Oh, boy. I think Mark does a nice job with... I'd like to say I'm very partisan. Yeah. I, go, I go both ways on that. I'd probably side with you more, though, Jake. I would guess. Kevin? Yeah, I, I, I guess, Jake. That is correct. They said Mark more often teams up with you, Jake. Well, Kevin Kevin usually likes to play like by the book, like let's, let's stay on track here. So I, I like to, a little bit of chaos. Now, it, now. my somebody, boss tells me once a week, continue to steer the ship. And I go, have Kevin, you seen the Kevin waters that I'm on play- here? <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, somebody just sent me this. See, Jake, this is why you were Larry David. What? what I don't understand what did I just do that was Larry David. Can someone please elaborate on what I just did that's Larry David? Okay. I don't know. Now, here's the thing. When in terms of Kevin being the mature one in the group that keeps us on track, in the 19 months or however long we've done this dog and pony show, we've had one person take their shirt off, right? To the horror, might I add, of our, of our YouTube viewing audience. I, I did not get that impression from the audience at all. <laughs> I, well, I did not at all you, see the whole. A lot of people of are using that for twelve month calendars now. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. Mister January, we had December. we had one right. person that has brought in donuts and passed them out on the air, which I'm not complaining. But you know, there's been reports of maybe there. an appearance on Playgirl. A little bit of <laughs> whoa. <laughs> do they still do that magazine? <laughs> Woo! 
<laughs> I wasn't going to reveal that, only. but I felt like it was necessary. <laughs> okay, there've been there's been one uh, time where beer was twice actually where beer's been consumed on the air, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, I think that, maybe a third time. Okay, that also wasn't you know I, I mean was that Mr. Wild that and not crazy allowed? over here? Oh no, it's encouraged, but still. Um, and then I'm trying to think of what else where you've gone rogue, quite frankly. And then I'm the one that gets blamed. for Oh, it. when he dresses up like around. He has the turkey hat. The turkey hat is kind of cool, though. You know, when I was in uh, Bucky's on Sunday, there's a Bucky's in Alabama right across from the racetrack. Go in. We went in at seven thirty on a Sunday, and it's already literally, it's unbelievable. There are there are eight hundred thousand people living in the state of Alabama at seven thirty on a Sunday. Six hundred twenty thousand of them are at church. The hundred other one hundred eighty thousand are at Bucky's. It's crazy Sunday ritual. That's right. But they they sold Bucky's hats that are. Have you seen the hats? I mean, I'm sure I've seen them. Mark's got a onesie. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> they have the hats them. that tie around like the little bonnet hats, and it's got the Bucky head. Well, summertime's coming. almost they, brought it for you, Kevin. Summertime's coming. They have Bucky's like swimsuits and stuff. Oh, perfect. Excuse me. Yeah, sunscreen. Okay, got it all. Flip flops, mm-hmm. floaties. Uh, I did see yesterday on the, and I guess this happened over the weekend as well. Um, I saw Purdue got a basketball commit from a big dude, and I feel like anytime you see that, you're like, oh, this guy's seven three, and he's from, you know, Sweden or somewhere. Uh, Raleigh Burgess for Purdue, a four star top hundred kid from the Cincinnati area. A lot of Big Ten offers. Uh, Texas, I saw on his offer list. Indiana. On his offer list, a little bit more of a uh, sounds like a stretch guy than just a back to the basket. So, um, the Big Ten pipeline, or I should say, the big man pipeline continues. Maybe a little bit of a different style, though. In uh, Burgess, and then I saw Indiana got to commit Jake over the weekend. Did you see they got a Miami kid to commit to them? Like a Miami Hurricane in the portal. I did not see that actually. How did I miss that? Yeah, Anthony uh, Harris, big guy. Uh, don't think he was. More of a rotational big guy um, for them. Uh, but, yeah, he is transferring to Indiana. So, Indiana's been a little bit more big man heavy. Was it Anthony Harris? I could be totally wrong on that on that last name. Um, well, who's the kid they had? And I apologize that I always forget names. I'm getting older. Who was the center they had that transferred? It was either from Central Florida to Indiana to South Florida or vice versa. Uh, Michael Doerr. Yeah, like Anthony Walker. Yes, Colt linebacker Anthony Walker. There were there were times, to be quite frank, last year that I thought, or, or two years ago, the year after Door left, th- th- there were times where I thought to myself, okay, he might not have set the world afire, but there were times that you, they could have used him. Yeah, I think especially in the Big Ten, just because you know you do face a Hunter Dickinson or a Zach Eady or some of those guys. But um, uh, right- Anthony Walker, by the way, six nine two ten. He's out of Baltimore, went to Brewster Academy. Uh, they are, by the way, the Brewster's Millions is their nickname. Uh, two points and one rebound per game. He appeared in, let's see how many games he played. Uh, he played in 37 games, averaging 2.8 points and 1.2 rebounds per game. Yeah, Obviously, Miami's front court had some pretty strong uh, For sure. players. And so now um, he will come to Bloomington. And if you look at IU, they've really kind of retooled the front court, and they had to, with Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson leaving. Um, so Anthony Walker will join Peyton Sparks, the Ball State transfer. And obviously, Malik Renew is going to be a huge part of just second-year development. You kind of started to see it, didn't you, in the last quarter of the season? Yeah, you definitely saw a little bit more from him. Um, you know, we're a month into the college basketball offseason, and it it is the same storyline that I think IU entered the offseason with of 
Where are your guards? Where are your wings? Uh, I think that will be something to continue to monitor. I know we said this last week. It's probably not a big pool of candidates, but I do think as we get closer to the NBA draft, the lottery's coming up in a few weeks, the NBA draft combines in a few weeks, You know, guys have to eventually decide by the end of the month if they're going to return to college basketball. You do see some of these guys enter the draft, but then also say, if I do return to college, I'm going to go into the transfer portal. Can Indiana try and tap into any of that group? Um, because I think, obviously, from a portal standpoint, they still need a good amount of help, whereas you know Purdue brings back a whole lot. And then we've seen the one Purdue addition from Southern Illinois. I don't agree with this at all, by the way. Jake, you're Larry David because you way over-argue your points with no self-awareness. I don't. I don't think. I think I'm very self aware. Well, by calling you Larry David, they're calling you George Costanza because George Costanza is based on Larry David. Yeah. So I, would you I'm, call yourself a George Costanza type? I would think that's viewed in a little bit more of a positive light than Larry David. Okay. Now hold on. George is an idiot, right? Yeah. That's why. That's why when people on Curb Your Enthusiasm say they hated George because he was such an idiot. Larry gets upset because it George is me. I'm George. That's it. Is Curb going another season? Oh yeah. But George, like George, has no game. I ooze game. <laughs> no one, no one who has game has ever said I ooze game. That, I, that has never been. I, I get said up. Before. I get up. You in think the James Harden walked into the locker room last night? I was like, I ooze game. I get. I get up in the morning. Sometimes when I'm on my way to brush my teeth, I trip, and I say, what was that I just tripped over? And I look down, and I realize it's excess game that's fallen off of me because I already have so much. Pray for Boo. If you guys believe in prayer, please add Boo to your list. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but over the course of my career, I've done okay. I don't mean, and I'm not talking about career-wise. You know what I mean? I mean, we we know. I'm retired now. Where are you going with that Happily retired, but I did okay. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald going to join us coming up at 9 o'clock and two Colts draft picks. Oh, this is awkward. From Northwestern. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know really how to move on from that one. Uh, Will Hewlett, a lot has been made, and understandably, about Anthony Richardson and the passing development of him. Um, so his quarterback's coach, who he's worked with now for the past few months, he will be on with us coming up at 8.30. Again, a much better-looking day to start here in Indianapolis. Still think it's going to be chilly before things warm up the rest of the week. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 107.5, The Fan. The outfit walking into the arena was outrageous, and so was the performance by James Harden last night. How about TD Garden the last two nights, guys? They watched that performance after the Bruins on Sunday? Oh, boy. Uh, weep for Boston fans. Uh, something this city certainly will never do and has yeah, never done. That city's got enough championships yeah. at the moment. Uh, James Harden last night. Uh, the Sixers were a 10.5-point underdog. Harden had 45 points, and this was the eventual game winner. Difference of two seconds, game clock and shot clock. Harden sizing up Horford. It's a three. Oh! Harden's got 45! Timeout, Boston! Jake, I watch every one of these playoff games, and just hearing that sound, the defense chant, and the road player silencing the crowd, and I think, when will the Pacers experience that again? You know what that, two years, by the way, Gotta get in the playoffs next year, right? Do you know what that sound sounded like when the when the ball 
goes right through the bottom of the net. I hate saying it. Oh, mayo? But it's a familiar sound. As a matter of fact, play the clip again from Kevin Harlan. Difference of two seconds. Game clock and shot clock. Harden sizing up Horford. It's a three. That sound of it going right through the net sounds vaguely familiar. There we go. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, one turnover in 33 minutes last night. It was a big one late with the Celtics up one. Just, I mean, just really threw the ball right to Tyrese Maxey. Maxey, D'Anthony, Melton were outstanding for the Sixers. Again, no Joel Embiid. Uh, Philly wins game one on the road. The second game last night, the Suns, they are now down 2-0 to the Nuggets, 97-87. Yes, that is a final score. Nikola Jokic, 39-16 and in that one. And looking ahead to tonight, we'll see if the Knicks can even up that series at 1-1 as they lost game one at home. Uh, and then the Lakers and the Warriors get things started. You guys going Lakers or Warriors? Um in terms of who I'd like to see win or who I think will win. Who do you think will win the series? I will actually take Golden State. Although I said at the beginning of the playoffs, Lakers are going to win the West. I guess i got to stick by that. Mark? I will take the Warriors. Okay. He's on fire! Okay. Okay. What? That should be the new sound. NBA Somebody game. yesterday also said to me, they're like, hey, Kevin was talking about how gross the mayonnaise was, but didn't he do four sips of it? Yeah, he did. Uh, again, someone had to sacrifice for this town to get Will Levis to a different town. Yeah, but now we might be doing mayo shots... On a Monday after if Colts the Titans, Titans beat the Colts with Will Levis under center, we have to drink a full cup How about this? of mayo oh and coffee. God. How about this question? Colts schedule coming out next Thursday, by the way. How about this question? Between the two, not knowing, okay, you got to you got to take into consideration rotation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, okay. In the two games that the Colts and Titans see one another next year, which will have the higher cumulative passing yardage, Anthony Richardson or Will Levis? Yeah, I'm curious to see how Tennessee plays that one. I, Don't they start right. Levis? But the Tannehill contract, yeah. I think I Tannehill know. starts. God, really? But I mean, I... could you imagine that uh, Colts radio broadcast if Will Levis leads the Titans past the Oh, Colts? no. Possession oh, into the end zone God. for a... <laughs> <laughs> Mark, uh, I wish people could visibly see Mark's laughter every time he plays. Rick Venturi, big Will Levis fan, by the way. Possession oh, into the end zone God. for a... <laughs> Major League Baseball from yesterday. Mark Cubs, 5-1 winners there. Guardians beat the Yankees by one. Uh, Reds lost to the Padres, 8-3 on that end. Thank you, Mark, for your sincere comments there. Uh, I don't think any of our teams played. Well, where are you going to (laughs) go? Okay, here's the better question. In Major League Baseball right now, and we'll do it kind of rapid fire here. In Major League Baseball, we're going to see how close you guys can come to telling me right now who the division leaders are. American League East, your teams to choose from are Boston, be the Toronto, Rays. Tampa, Baltimore, and the Yankees. Tampa, Tampa is correct, 23-6. and six. Uh, AL Central, teams to choose from are Minnesota, Detroit, Cleveland, Royals, and White Sox. Go Twins. Minnesota. Minnesota's correct, 17-12. and 12. AL West, teams of which to choose from are the Rangers, Angels, Astros, Athletics, and Mariners. What's the Rangers at one point, so I'll, I'll go there. And Mariners. Kevin is correct. The Rangers at 17 and 11. National League East, teams to choose from. Philadelphia, Atlanta, Miami, the Mets, and the Nationals. Braves. Yeah, let's go Atlanta. Braves are 19 and 10. Correct. The NL Central, teams to choose from. Pirates, baby. Pirates. Pirates at 20 and 9. And lastly, the NL West, you choose from the San Diego Padres, the Dodgers, the Diamondbacks, the Giants, and the Rockies. Dodgers. 
I guess. Kev? Dodgers at 17 and 13. But don't look now, but the Baltimore Orioles, 19 and 9 for cute fella. 19 and 9. Kevin, in our bid, or excuse me, Mark, in our bid for the PBR, your Diamondbacks, 16 and 13. Mm-hmm. Three and a half game lead for the six pack for. You didn't, you didn't mention my team. The Athletics, 6 and 23. They're 11 and a half back. They are 3 and 7 in their last 10. 11 and a half back. Okay. All right. 11 and a half back of the Rangers, by the way. We can do this. Who have the worst record amongst divisional leaders in baseball. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald. They're the worst ju- division of baseball at 11 and a half back. Pat Fitzgerald, that 9 o'clock Northwestern head coach. couple Colts draft picks. Will Hewlett, the QB coach for uh, Anthony Richardson here over the past few months. He's coming up in less than an hour. We'll get more into the Colts draft on the other side. Again, it is a sunny but a chilly start to this Tuesday here in Indy. Kevin and Corey on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. One of the great songs of all time. From the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchigumi. Gordon Lightfoot uh, passing away yesterday. I believe 74 years old. Is that right, Mark? I think 84. Yeah, I thought 84. Or 84, sorry. The, um, the Canadian folk singer passing away yesterday. I did not realize two things about Gordon Lightfoot, who, you know, just one of the staples of like early backseat of my mom's car driving doing errands getting groceries you know that that was back when wibc was playing music that was one of the songs you would have heard um on the radio but gordon life his other two songs one was carefree highway and uh, until like two years ago i always thought it was every highway and it's carefree highway did not know that and then sundown which is another one of his great songs also, I did not realize until of recent vintage that that song was written about Gordon Lightfoot's ex-girlfriend, who was the same woman that essentially gave John Belushi his fatal dose of uh, the, the cocktail that, that killed him, essentially. And Gordon Lightfoot wrote that song about that. And I'm like, well, that's not really an uplifter. Wow. I, I had no idea that. Yeah. Sundown. It was quite the, um, yeah. quite the social media support for Gordon Lightfoot. I, I th- yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of people. I, I, I guess I wouldn't. This sounds bad. I would not have guessed that. It totally understood. I mean, I, I, I get why you would say that, right? Yeah. He, he's one of those guys that. Um, I think Gordon Lightfoot was one of those performers that you don't meet anybody who would say that that was their favorite performer. But he had two or three songs that are just kind of consistent backdrop songs in the memory of a lot of people's like of that era that ilk of the mid 70s for sure Uh, jake we went over several colts draft picks yesterday of the names on the list any of them interest you that maybe we have not gone over yet from the 12-man group you know I, i think the one that to me is of the most intrigue quite frankly is and i don't just say this because of his name is the lineman that they took late i think anytime that you get a guy that just has characteristics that were so unique you know just a huge body that is learning the position like a a high risk high reward not not let me say low risk high reward type guy that's of intrigue and jake witt kind of kind of feels that way if you will um we talked about brents and downs we talked about and we'll talk about the players from northwestern how about Daniel Scott out of California? That that to me felt like a stretch is probably the wrong word, but a guy that they're just going, if I'm not mistaken, Kevin, the narrative on Daniel Scott is like 
kind of like when they took TJ Green out of Clemson. Like, let's just see what he can do. Yeah, I would say the biggest difference there between him and TJ Green is, and there's no way to say this outside of disparaging TJ Green, would be maturity. Um, Daniel Scott, if he were in the NBA draft, he probably doesn't even hear his name called. And I say that because he will turn 25 years old in October. That is an incredibly old prospect uh, in the draft. He began his college career at Cal in 2017. Obviously, the extra COVID year, you do have some older prospects in this draft class. Hendon Hooker, we talked about, even Will Levis is a little bit on the older side. But Daniel Scott, when they took him in the fifth round, um, you know, pretty much my initial thought was, oh, wow, this just screams special teams. Like everything about him is a special teamer. Uh, new special teams coach Brian Mason. I, I just assumed that that's kind of where he would fit into this group. Um, now, Chris Bowden, after the draft, was a little bit more like, no, 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 we think he's got a defensive chance, which, again, makes sense because you wouldn't take a just a pure special teamer in round five. To me, that's a little early for him. Uh, and, you know, if you look at safety, you know, they got a couple young guys. Rodney Thomas II had a great Rookie season, especially for a seventh-round pick. We'll see about Nick Cross. You know, it was pretty much a redshirt year. He, he started the season, then got benched, and never Nick, really got on the field. Nick Cross kind of feels to me like Daniel Scott. Am I off base there? But, again, I would slot Cross and TJ Green, Jake Moore, into like the uber-young, we're going to try and tap into the traits. Whereas Daniel Scott is 24 years old. And a little bit more of a I don't know, finished product sounds too harsh, but... You kind of know what you're getting with him, whereas Cross and Green, you're you're trying to project a little bit more. Uh, but that safety room, again, Julian Blackman's in a contract year. Rodney Thomas II is back. I assume those two start. Rodney McLeod, you know, he is not on the roster. He was a free agent. We'll see if he retires. Um, and then Nick Cross, I guess, would be that third safety on paper. Maybe Daniel Scott would be the fourth. So, um, yeah, a Cal defender there. Again, we'll turn 25 coming up. In October, and probably, I don't know, out of all the draft picks, I just feel like he's the one that we probably won't talk about very much. How about Titus Leo? Yeah, not a lot of Wagner football players, right? Right. Uh, Fourth ever in the history of their program. The Colts actually already have one on their roster. Chris Williams, a backup defensive tackle. Uh, Titus Leo is reminiscent of when um, they drafted EJ Speed back in 2019. EJ Speed is out of Tarleton State. EJ Speed had played like four different positions in college. Finally, had settled on linebacker. Um, Titus Leo plays multiple positions at Wagner. Finally, has settled in as a pass rusher. So I think similar to Jake Witt with the last pick that they used in the seventh round, this is a dart at a board at the board of a premium position, and they will see what they can get. You know, something that I think this team has lacked probably ever since really Robert Mathis led the league in sacks in 2013. And I guess Yannick Ngakwe, he honestly might have been the closest thing to it last year. The Colts just lack a pure speed edge rusher. Like, the Colts' effective pass rushers... They've been trying rushers, to find that, Kevin, forever, right? Yeah. And the Colts, I mean, since Freeney and Mathis, they've been trying to find that. Yeah, and their best rushers are just kind of more power guys. Right. Not necessarily speed guys. And so I think that is the attempt here. And if you're going to take this approach, which I'm not saying that I highly endorse 12 draft picks, I'm probably more of a, 
you know, it's a little, you need more high end quality than just quantity. But, you know, I, I get why Ballard does it. He says the draft's a crapshoot. Let's just try and get as many chances as we can get at the board. If you're going to have 12 draft picks, these are the types of picks that you should be making late. Throw a dart at a board at a position that matters. See if this guy from a small school has traits that you like. And could they possibly turn into something of a diamond in the rough? Right. You know, you brought up the name Denzel Good yesterday with with uh, Jake Witt. You know, that's kind of the thinking here. Obviously, when you think about day three picks in this franchise, Robert Mathis certainly stands out. That's what your effort is here of, why not? See I, if you can get something, uh, particularly for a skill set this team has lacked in a speed rusher. Kev, Robert Mathis started out, and I think it's easy to forget this because of how things went. But Robert Mathis started out as a special teams guy, right? And then, you know, you saw what became of his career. Are some of these players that are drafted, and this is an important area. I don't mean this is a snub at all. Do you get to a certain point in the draft where you're drafting guys, not necessarily because you like the position that they played and dominated in college, but because they look like guys that can be special teams players that then develop into positional players for you? Yeah, I, I think that's kind of the hope with some of these day three picks. You know, when I look at Jake Witt and uh, Titus Leo, for example, can Jake Witt, Northern Michigan, Titus Leo from Wagner, both of their first years to me, just scream, put them on the practice squad and worry about them in 2024. And we brought this up yesterday. You know, I think we've been trained to get locked into this, like, what is the 53-man roster? What does that look like? The NFL, really ever since COVID, and has continued to do it since, has adopted a bigger practice squad, a easier to kind of bring guys up off the practice squad for a game and then put them back on the practice squad. You don't risk them to waivers or free agency or anything like that. So I think teams are a little bit more willing to take these picks knowing they've kind of got a AAA system in their own building, and that's the practice squad. Um, so the NFL, again, has adopted this really about three or four years ago. They continue to do it, and Chris Ballard has been a huge, huge user of it. I guarantee you, if you look at last year's like week one Colts practice squad, I'd say 70 to 80% of them ended up playing in a game last season, and or they just used last year as a nice time to, okay, you get 17 weeks of practice, you get to learn, and in Witt's case, in Leo's case, they both would fall into the they just need development more than anything. You know, the I've always been curious if you were to ask Chris Ballard or insert name of really any executive, and maybe it's different, Kevin, from franchise to franchise, but do is there a point in the draft where you say, look, we could sit here and act like we know the traits and the personalities and the X's and O's of every single player in the draft, but after pick 175, we are literally going with the guy that's just best athlete available. You I think you're I mean? almost seeing that in Leo and Witt. And this is something I talked about. Correct, especially in Witt, right? And again, do that at positions that matter, Jake. Do that at positions that mean more. So much of the headline after the Colts draft was, oh my gosh, this is one of the most athletic drafting classes we've ever seen. And there's a lot of truth to that. But to me, that's not the big storyline from this Colts draft. The big storyline from this Colts draft, and obviously Anthony Richardson is the torchbearer for it, is that finally 
you have seen a commitment from Chris Ballard in a draft on positions that matter more than others. Look at the first four picks. Quarterback, corner, wideout, offensive tackle. You throw in a corner there, I think two picks later. Like It is about time that this franchise strayed away from taking a guard in the top 10, taking a linebacker in the top 40, taking a running back in the second round. That has gotten you to the point of not winning a division title, to not being anywhere near close to the best team in the AFC South over the last six years. You've got to alter your approach. And I think if you are a Colts fan looking at this draft, I think that's what you should um, like the most about it. Again, it's a chance at quarterback, which speaks for itself. And we've talked that ad nauseum here over the past few months. But to me, it extends deeper than quarterback. You are finally making a serious commitment to the positions that matter. What is your biggest race day tradition? I go or with, build up not even race day tradition, but month of May tradition. Other than drinking a Coors banquet, sure. Well, not just one coming up on Carb Day. Um, so I made a couple of different Calcuttas for the 500. I enjoy that getting together with some friends and family and taking part in a little snake draft. Okay, uh, that's always now. When uh, you say snake draft, are people literally picking, or are you picking out of a hat? Uh, so the order for round three is out of a hat, but. I guess you do pick your order for round one and two. So, for example, if you pick, you know, the third selection, uh, then you would have the third selection in round one, and then as we snake back to round two, you would have what the nineteenth, twentieth. Right. I'm trying to do the math on that. You know, Rosie and I started last year, Jake. We came out to Qualls, and I would like to get her out to the track again, like one, if not two days a year. If the Grand Prix is good weather, I think we might mound it up next. next yeah, Saturday. I think the Grand Prix is a really good chance for kids. And where should I go mound-wise? Should I go the turn one, which would be what, turn four of the oval? That's probably the most action. Or should I go over by where you are, kind of the other end of the road course? That's a that's a really good question. Um, should I, we take this off air so it's not too crowded for me? What's that? Should we take this off air so it's not too crowded? <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> I, I think the, the viewing mounds near the museum – for kids would be the most fun because there's the most you know you have the flags on top of the museum or near the museum going you have the museum itself you have the the mounds are really good to roll down quite frankly i see kids doing a lot of that perfect but you see the cars on the or oval. me after a few i mean they're banquets. going that's <laughs> they're going the wrong direction on the oval but they do get to see what they look like on the oval while as well seeing them kind of navigate turns so just from like a, an an atmosphere of the senses, I would say, turn two would be better. I guess what I love about it is just like, this is our thing. Like, this is Indianapolis's, the state of Indiana's thing, and you just kind of grow up with it. I have totally. vivid memories of kindergarten Kevin Bowen drawing Jacques Villeneuve. Right. And then Buddy Lazier in back to back years car. and thinking, I knew everything in the world about sports. Yeah. I mean, you're and, right. And like, that is, that is like one of my biggest memories from childhood. I love driving around town and seeing the flags outside of everybody's house. I can't, I think today, actually, I'm going to go over and get my credential um, over there at 16th and Georgetown. So I just, I eat it up and, and I cannot sleep whatsoever on Saturday, whatever it is, May 26th. I can't sleep at all. I wake up and I am so happy. Maddie looks at me that morning and goes, you're literally smiling more than you did on our wedding day. It's, you know, I I think the thing that Kevin makes it so special to me 
And I understand and I totally respect that, that this has changed a little bit. But for a lot of people, Indianapolis was a city, bef- you know, we, we, are, we remember it before the Colts were in town and before the Pacers were a player. Now, I know the Pacers in, as an ABA franchise were the best there was. But in terms of the national scale, the ABA did not was not the talking point that the NBA was. And the Pacers were not an NBA talking point until the early to mid-90s. And so if you grew up of my age range in the 70s or 80s and you were a kid from Indianapolis and you went on spring break or you went on vacation to Florida or wherever and said you were from Indianapolis, people said to you, oh, the Indy 500. And it's what we were known for. And... As a civic pride, you took pride in the fact that we were not only known for that, but we were known for something that no one else was. There were a lot of cities that were known for the NFL. There were a lot of cities that were known for the NBA or Major League Baseball or college basketball. But no one really could claim, and certainly no one else could claim, the largest single-day spectator sport in the world. I mean, that was it was just such a badge of honor. And then with that comes the traditions that, you know, I, I've got a thing right now, and you can go on my Twitter at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, where I ask people for names of loved ones that they've lost in the last year that had a love for the 500. I love that you do that. And and we do that um, each year in the pre-race. I list off, I wish I could read everyone's name. I apologize that I cannot. But it is, it's touching to see the number of people that send a thing like, oh, my uncle Ed took me out there he was the first one to introduce me to it and and cut out names out of the paper or show me the speed charts or just simply show me how to pack my cooler to get not one but two ham sandwiches in there you know all the little traditions that go into it are just what make it so special and i'm just so glad that today it looks more like may than yesterday because it was hard to get into it yesterday <laughs> and you know what wednesday thursday friday will hopefully feel like what it's going to be closer to race day one uh one confession i do have to make about the month of may and i cheated a little bit i started this kind of in late april so basically the nightly routine in the bowen household is you know we have rosie that i guess is almost three and max is about nine months so basically you know i'll take one kid to put to bed maddie will take the other one and we, and we usually um um, you know, alternate, alternate. Thank you. That, that's the word I was looking for. Um, I really prefer to put Max down during this time because you know, once Max falls asleep in my arms, what I like to do is just kind of stay in his nursery for about uh, ten more minutes. And what do I dial up? I dial up the final ten laps of past five hundreds. Really, pop in the headphone. That's pretty cool. And watch that. And you know what? I don't know if this is legal, Jake, but we've got a few YouTubers out there that have done a great job of syncing your guys' radio call to the video of it. I That seems to be a new addition on, on YouTube. So I have been a big fan of that. Gosh, you had one call. I've done the last three races, so I'm back to 01 or 2000. I've, I was going to text you. You had a really good one the other night. I was trying to think of it. Uh, but I did watch. I guess I'm back to 2000. Are they... I, are they when you're listening to the radio and you're looking at the video, does it sync at all, or do you think to yourself, "This guy's making this up"? <laughs> well, no, it actually syncs. It actually syncs pretty well. Um, I, I was thinking back to the COVID race, though. The COVID race was so weird. <laughs> Tell me about it. You know, and, and, and watching that. But gosh, you had a good call. Maybe it was was it Pagano and Rossi going back and forth? That might have been one of them, but yeah, that is kind of now a nightly routine. So, you know, when I get the max nights, that means, all right, let's dial up YouTube and see what we can find here. You know, 
each year during the race broadcast, because I've listened to plenty of old races. And when I say old, I mean like the 50s and 60s. And I love the theater of the mind of it. And I, I don't really, you know, I'm not naive to think that 60 years from now people will be listening to the 2023 Indy 500. I don't know that, but I do try to. I will say this, Kevin. The only thing that I conscientiously do in calling the race, the only thing that I think ahead of time, the only two things, number one is the names, and then the other one is at some point I try to describe the weather because I always envision... Sunsplashed is is a good phrase you use. Yeah, or, you know, cloud cover or the, you know, whatever. But I'm trying to picture the guy 60 years from now that's listening to that race, putting his kid to bed and wondering to himself, I wonder what that day was like. And so I try to throw that in there at least once per race. You do, as your entire team does a beautiful job in painting. They do better than I. That picture. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald coming up at 9 o'clock. Two Colts draft picks on that end. Uh, Will Hewlett... The quarterback's coach for Anthony Richardson at 8.30. Any draft thoughts? We'll take some calls coming up here. 317-239-1070 as well. Kevin Aquari, again, a really nice but chilly start to this Tuesday here in May. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald going to join us here coming up at 9 o'clock. And Will Hewlett, the quarterback's coach for Anthony Richardson, coming up at the bottom of the hour. You know, I think a question with Richardson um, – isn't necessarily in the like S two test quarterback mind of his. It's more again to do with just the accuracy, the completion percentage, in particular. You know, balls kind of thrown in that zero to ten yard range down the field. Little to no worry at all about him. Um, so again, I think that is something that you know Shane Steichen clearly believes. He can continue to try and grow and develop with Richardson. And you are curious, like, is the other stuff kind of a non-starter? Was was that a big issue for a guy like Will Will Levis? Um, you know, a thing that Chris Ballard really harped on going back to Thursday night when they drafted Richardson is, you know, when you watch him play quarterback, you do see poise. You do feel poise. Like, when things get chaotic around him, he does look like a guy that is not just ducking his eyes or immediately looking to run at every cost you know right if i was blessed with that athletic talent i'd probably be using my legs a whole lot he has pocket maneuverability right yeah and, and so that is something that i think the colts obviously feel good about so you know what he does on a whiteboard how he handles the offense and shane Steichen can obviously you know start pretty simple and then continue to build as he feels like you know, Anthony is a little bit more comfortable with whatever system that you throw at him. So that's another reason, Jake, why I'm good with playing him early is you can dial back the offensive system and not overload, but I just think the game reps of getting used to becoming a more accurate quarterback, that's stuff you can't replicate in practice whatsoever, and or at least to the degree that it is in a game setting. And that's why I think it is just so paramount to get him in the lineup as early as possible. Now... Have you seen the video of Anthony Richardson with Steve Mariucci? Um, I did, yeah. Like Mariucci showing or telling him a play and then so, Richardson's supposed to write that up. I don't know. You never know how much of this could be set up. And I think I've said before, one of the real epiphanies for me in the line of work that we we do and in the access that we're fortunate to have is 
growing up, and I get it, I understand why athletes and coaches look at media guys and like, look, man, you've never played the game. And it's easy for the for a lot of us to say, yeah, but you don't have to play football to know that you have to score more points than the other team and, and avoid sacks and whatever else. I remember there was a member of the St. Louis Rams that kind of had the reputation of just being aloof, not invested, not putting a lot of time in. And I remember interviewing that player once after a game and asking, like, it looked like they were dogging a play. And they're like, well, I mean, what you didn't see is that that was actually a double protection because there was a safety cheating over the top. And then when they went over that way, I had to slide into like a split zone read. And I'm like, how in the world do you remember all this stuff? How do you recognize that immediately and alter to it? I think that we totally 100% underestimate the quick think vision and just acumen for the game that is that I'm not going to say is necessary but it's beneficial in professional sports and I think a lot of quarterbacks have it but Anthony Richardson did a video with Steve Mariucci where Mariucci was showing him a West Coast offense play that the Niners used to run with T.O. and Jerry Rice um, and Steve Young and he's showing it, and he's like, now see what we're doing right here, and he's showing him all three options. Option one is to go here to Rice, obviously, and to to stack the line at this point. Option two then would be to do this. Option three would be to do this. We call this play 74 double box stock left, you know, whatever. Then at the end of the interview, Mariucci goes, by the way, and hands in the pen and says, show me that play again. And Richardson flawlessly to a T diagrammed it perfectly and had the name and all of the jargon for it instantly. Now, was that set up ahead of time? I don't know. It's entirely possible. I think all of us have a skill set, Kevin, that that just it's almost hard to teach because you just naturally know it and it's hard to to tell others how to do something that you do organically. And with Richardson, in that case, learning and understanding and envisioning a play appeared to be a very natural thing for him. Something we talked about a lot with Will Levis, too, that we probably should have paid a little bit more attention to with Richardson. And again, he only started for one year, so this is probably why we didn't really focus on it as much. Levis had so much turnover around him from his first year starting at Kentucky to his second year. You know, Richardson was originally recruited by Dan Mullen, who has a lot of great history with quarterbacks. Um, but then Billy Napier took over, and you know Rob Sale was Florida's offensive coordinator this past season, and he came from the New York Giants as their O-line coach. So you're not even getting necessarily a you know kind of heavy quarterback background there. Sure, you're getting a little bit of an NFL system type, which I think you do like that. But you know from what Richardson would have been used to when he was backing up Emory Jones the year prior at Florida or even during his first year on campus, that wasn't the same. And, you know, so much of this, Jake, goes back to the hiring of Shane Steichen and the biggest reason why you do that. The biggest reason why you make an offensive hire is because you are going to provide stability for your young quarterback, no matter who you selected. You are going to provide stability for that guy for the next X amount of years. For however long that quarterback is in Indy, you know, Shane Sykin is going to be the head coach and by all accounts is going to be the the play caller as well. And I don't get the vibe that Shane Sykin has any hesitations, any reservations about 
dumping play calling duties on somebody else. Maybe he'll hit that at some point once stuff gets real. But right now, there is no way he's thinking about that. And it got me thinking, had the Colts hired Raheem Morris? Had the Colts hired Wink Martindale? I don't know if they select Anthony Richardson. I don't know if Chris Ballard would have felt comfortable enough That's to se- possible. select Anthony Richardson. And throughout the process, you heard me say many times, Shane Sykin should be the biggest decision maker in this process. He's the one that's working. He First off, he has the best background with quarterbacks of any of the big three, Ballard, Ursay, and Steichen. And then obviously he's going to work most closely with that quarterback now moving forward. And I do think that is the case. Steichen had a ton of say. But the fact that you are betting on Richardson and your head coach, your play caller, and a guy that's going to work very closely with the quarterbacks has that background, I think all is why the Colts feel better about this, that their offensive staff will provide an atmosphere and environment that will give Anthony Richardson a chance. The other name I think that's worth mentioning, Richardson's quarterbacks coach, will be Cam Turner here in in Indianapolis. Cam Turner's background, um, he was with the Carolina Panthers when Cam Newton was drafted, uh, transitioned to quarterbacks coach there, and then he has most recently been out in Arizona with Kyler Murray. So when you think about working with you know, dual threat type quarterbacks. Or guys that, that get out of the pocket and try to create. Yeah, and working with them young at young moments in their NFL career, um, he checks that box. For those curious, Cam Turner is the son of Ron Turner, the nephew of Norv Turner. And we had Norv on right after the Shane Steichen hire, of course. Probably the biggest mentor to Shane Steichen. Do you get the feeling that Arizona is, I'm not going to say questioning, but starting to feel like they're checking the expiration date on Kyler Murray? Yeah, but I just think financially, I, I don't know if they can move him. I mean, if they have a bad season... And again, Kyler's coming off the ACL. He I is mean, a dynamic player. There's no doubt. Couldn't He's, that just scream Caleb Williams? Yeah. I think that could scream Caleb Williams. But, but, but financially, they just have a huge commitment to him. But Caleb Williams, though, doesn't it feel kind of like Kyler Murray? Same type of player, I mean. I mean, like, in other words, you're going from one guy's skill set to just, like, the same, replicating the same. And Wouldn't you want to go in a completely different style? I think so much of the Kyler issue is off the field. Well, what's the video game Mark he's addicted Call to? Call of Duty. <laughs> Why wow, you wasted no time in that? Which, uh, to be fair, there are many humans um, yeah. that would probably uh, qualify in that. Group. I mean, there are worse things, I guess, to have an addiction to. Yeah, but. and it's not just that. I, I just, I don't know. I, I it's kind of unfair of me to say, probably, but it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Uh, Mitchell, want to talk tight ends? Is that yep. right, Mark? Uh huh. Mitchell, what's up, man? Hey, good morning, fellas. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. How are you? Good, good. So I was talking, um, going to piggyback off of you. I trust Sykes with the offense completely, but with this tight end room being so full now, and then I forgot the guy's name from Cleveland that we signed the blocking tight end. But like, I mean, how do you how do you split? The, I think Jelani Woods is clearly the number one, but you got to find a way to like kind of work Mallory in and maybe Ogletree now because you don't really know what's there because the injury. So, like, I don't know what Ballard and Sykes can do with that tight end room that's so full now. So, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. And, hey, Jake, by the way, sounds kind of British in the studio this morning. Sounds kind of British what's that? In the studio this morning? Oh, Mitchell, <laughs> Mark, can we just... <laughs> well, I, 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 thank you, Mitchell. I, 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 I agree about that. Oh, you told me you're so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> no, they need to pull Mitchell over. Wherever Mitchell's at. Can we get a cop car behind Mitchell? I feel like Jake was like, can someone text in and do British Literally. Do you know Mitchell? Is that Mitchell Query the second? He's a fine lad, yeah. I don't know Mitchell. No. Uh, I think tight end is one of the, maybe the most interesting position group the Colts will cut down. Um, I think it's six guys for four spots. He brought up the blocker from Cleveland. That would be Pharaoh Brown, who they signed in the offseason. So right now, those six guys to me look like this. Mo Cox, Jelani Woods, Drew Ogletree, Kylan Granson, Pharaoh Brown, and then the draft pick they just had, Will Mallory. Those six guys for four spots. A lot of people, Jake, want to see, I think, Mo Cox cutter traded. Uh, I would argue he was a fan favorite a couple years ago, including by myself. I liked him. I mean, I was intrigued by him. My first argument would be, what are you getting for him? Well, the problem with him also, Kevin, is nothing against him. But if it was going to take off, it would happen by now, right? Right. And I think we probably just need to temper expectations better. He's not going to be Antonio Gates. He's not going right. to be Tony Gonzalez. Right. Not every basketball player turned tight end turn he's, into that. He's not going to be Marcus Pollard. No, but can he be a you know can he be a, a blocker for you? Because you know, that, to me, is kind of the missing ingredient with this group is more of the blocking type. Jelani Woods, I think, can have a breakout season this year. Where did Farrell Brown play collegiately? Ooh, that's a good question. Doesn't he sound like um, he sounds like one of my ascot guys? Doesn't he, Mark? I uh, guess South Carolina. Farrell Brown, yes. I remember when he first entered at Pembroke. Farrell Brown was a wonderful lad. I will say, Farrell Brown does not really look like that sort of really individual there. Farrell um, uh, was a nice young boy. His father was part of our cricket program. Oregon. Quack, yeah. quack. <laughs> okay. But yeah, big dude, 6'6", 260. So again, I think he maybe fits more of the blocking element. What was interesting about the Will Mallory pick, yeah, Will Mallory. His family had a home in Astoria. Out of Miami, the grandson of Bill Mallory, uh, the nephew of Kurt Mallory, who's currently the head coach of Indiana State. His father, Will, was the... Um, I think is still a uh, special teams coach around the NFL. He, to me, is more in the Kylan Granson mold of a tight end. Um, so when I saw that draft pick, as much as people brought up Mo Ali Cox, I kind of thought, oh boy, what does this mean for Kylan Granson? A guy that I think has had a flash or two, but he's also had some drops and some critical moments. It doesn't seem like it does. It feels like I should say that Kylan Granson, a lot of his drops were like in camp, kind of a. In other words, he never really established his footing when it mattered most, when when the lights were not on, to be able to say, "Here's what I can do." And I think he showed some flashes. But the consistency just wasn't there, right? Yeah, and I did think Shane Steichen was a big fan of the drafting of Mallory, so that obviously will help him. Again, Drew Ogletree had a great training camp last year. So you're not cutting Woods. I don't think you would cut Moali Cox because, again, he's probably the most established in the inline blocker. You would save about $5 million if you cut him, so maybe you would look into that. Um yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Granson, do you cut him? He still's got a couple years left on the rookie deal. That will be a group that I don't necessarily think it's one of the best groups in the NFL by any means, but it's a group that they're going to cut a guy and it's going to be like, oh, wow, um, at one point we thought he would be something for this team. You know, I'm actually a little surprised. I'm not going to say I'm offended. I'm not going to say I'm offended because I'm very secure in myself. 
But I'm a little surprised that you guys haven't given me more props on my uh, Ascot guy accent. That's right up there with my British accent, where when I go out in public and stuff, people go crazy over it, and kids in particular love it. I mean, kid, people will they'll call their kids over and have me talk in the grocery store and things like that in those accents, and people love it. They go crazy for it. And then you guys just sit here stoically staring at each other as if I'm Medusa. Like, what's going on there? You want uh, more credit? Is that what you're saying? Yes, I do, actually. Oh. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> right. I feel in like my late- opinion, that sucked. Well, I feel no, like lately you've been on even more of an ego kick. Yeah. Oh, Am well, I wrong on that, Mark? It's because he's about to graduate, so he's getting a little... <laughs> yeah, I was curious where Senioritis is coming in. He's got a cat and he's graduating, and all of a sudden... <laughs> I, in the last... Listen, in the next two weeks, I'm going to become both a graduate and a parent. So I can, I'm can. i just entering all kinds of arenas with you guys. You right? really are. I mean, this is... <laughs> <laughs> this is quite the uh, quite. The I can always here. ego check him if you'd like. Kev. Would you like me to ego check him real oh. quick? Oh, if you've got yeah, problems okay. with okay. your nips, okay, okay. Uh, that, now, not your nips. That's for sure. That one always gets him. Yeah, that was boy. That was a tough one. Was that an ad read? That was an ad read. Yeah. What was it for? Nips, apparently. If you've got problems with your Okay, thanks. uh, Yep, great. Not your nips, that's for sure. See how quickly I caught that that? one. Always. uh, See how quickly I corrected. That one always gets you. The, the 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 hand-eye coordination there to immediately correct is impressive. That's the kind of thing. That's what people want out of I think out of this program is not only and, and also just being humble to say I made a mistake. Mark, I, I, I must say I've encountered my first issue here at age thirty-three that I didn't know I would. Uh-huh. I keep on looking down at my fingernails. Um, last night Rosie wanted to paint my fingernails, and oh my gosh, getting this stuff off. Is a pain? That's an understatement. Yeah. I tried the rubbing alcohol. Didn't really work Might completely. Need to get some paint thinner. So here I am just slowly trying to chip away at all these little sparkles on my fingers, and now they're getting on my laptop. See, we get like the we get like the kids kind, which is like kind of it's I looked much at Maddie and I was off. like, did we not get that kind? Yeah. I mean, this is brutal. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. I have rubber cement. Do you ever get manicures? I never, I've never gotten a manicure, no. Mark? No. Oh. No manny, no petties over no, here. No, you guys aren't living. Well, Jake, you need to come over and then have Rosie paint your your, your nails. Sure. I love getting manicures. Love it. I mean, do they do like do they like rub your feet and stuff when you? Oh, go let me tell you, buddy. We no, were just, that's pedicure, I could use that. Right? We're in Birmingham. Alex Wolf, who does a radio network with us, we're in Birmingham. We went to dinner on Friday night. We're walking back to the hotel. The restaurant was right next to the hotel. Right next to, in between the two, there was a small strip mall, and I see a sign. Um, you know, one of the like foot and leg massage mm-hmm. places. I go, Alex, you ever done this? No. I said, Well, your life's about to change. We went in and No, there's Robert Kraft. There's Rex Ryan. Hey guys, how are you? <laughs> we we went in and sat there, just a couple of good buddies sitting side by side, doing the whole pedicure deal. Loved every minute of it. I think I'm too ticklish. No, they have you, have you used nail polish remover? Yeah. I tried that last time. No. I, I finally quit. Uh I thought the smell was too much. Maybe you're using Sherwin Williams or something. Maybe that's why it's not coming off. You're using actual paint. Maddie said if I just waited a few days, it'd eventually fall off. So that's where I'm at here on this Monday or on this Tuesday morning. Now, meanwhile, I've got you have glitter on your fingernails. Mm-hmm. I've got dry cuticles that then, because I'm on blood thinners, turn into clots. That's fun. 
Because it takes forever, and then once it clots, you can't pick it away because then it's like Niagara Falls again. See, that's how I thought he was going to get out of the coffee and mayo thing. He's God bleeding. I gotta leave. Yeah. <laughs> Poke himself with a little. Like, Not a lot of band aids in this office, though. So good luck. That, that is true. I went looking the other day, and I'm like, wait, what happened? Trying to control that. Uh, in ten minutes, we're gonna have Will Hewlett again, Anthony Richardson's quarterbacks coach. He is going to join us, and Pat Fitzgerald coming up at nine o'clock. Uh, let's begin the morning checkdown with "Quite the Night" by James Harden. The Morning Checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Last night in game one between the Sixers and the Celtics, James Harden in his walk-in was dressed like a child. Then he went out and played like a man. As a matter of fact, without Joel Embiid, when the game was on the line, it was Harden that delivered for the city of brotherly love. Difference of two seconds, game clock and shot clock. Harden sizing up Harper. It's a three. Oh, Harden's got 45! Time out, Boston! Philly wins at 119-115. Harden, in fact, 45 points. Tyrese Maxey, who's a really good player, had 26. Tobias Harris, 18 for the Sixers. The Celtics did get 39 points and 11 boards from Jason Tatum and 23 from Jalen Brown. you got to think of your Boston, Kevin, a little discouraging to get a combined uh, what, 62 points out of those two players and still not be enough in a game when the best player probably on both teams in Joel Embiid, well, I don't know if I'd say the best, one of the four best, is not on the floor. Yeah, I mean, you're a 10.5-point favorite at home. You were the one, you know, resting. Um, I guess not a, not, not a ton of rest, but it's not like you played just a couple nights ago. Uh, yeah, that is one that uh, now you're climbing uphill a little bit here and – for now, Philly has home court, and we'll play with house money coming up on Wednesday night for Game 2. Tonight, you're going to have the Heat and the Knicks. That's Madison Square Garden Game 2, the Knicks down 1-0. We'll see about Jimmy Butler's ankle. Is that an issue at all? Twisted that late in their Game 1 win on Sunday. And then the second game of the night will be the Lakers and the Warriors. That is a sixth seed in the Warriors, a seventh seed in the Lakers. Uh, who the hell guards Steph Curry? I was thinking about that. Is it D'Angelo Russell? It's a good question. Probably. I don't see that ending well. I mean, can anybody guard him when he's hot and when he's going? You know what I mean? Yeah. Put Jared Um, Vanderbilt on him. Uh, That'll be something to watch. Major League Baseball yesterday. Cubs over the Nationals 5-1. It was the Padres over the Reds 8-3. Well, where are you going to go? Every time, Mark, really? Every time. Every time they lose. I think he plays that more or the plot more. Oh, well, if you want the plop, I can play you the plop. This is the sound of the Reds yesterday squaring into the batter's box against the Padres. Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? It was on the road yesterday, right? (laughs) It was. Mm -hmm. Dodgers over the Phillies 13-4. Cleveland over the Yankees 3-2. Boston over the Blue Jays 6-5. And the Astros over the San Francisco Giants 7-3. Coming up later this week, the Colts will have their rookie mini camp. That will be practices on Friday and Saturday over at the complex. It'll be the first time for Anthony Richardson and obviously the rest of his rookie class to get on the field. So we should get an official list from an undrafted free agent standpoint uh, coming up later this week. They'll have some tryout guys. Typically, that includes some local names on that list. Um, from an undrafted free agent standpoint, I know a lot of people um, saw the name Emil Echior. A cathedral product who played at Alabama, three-year starter at right guard there. That is a position I mean, that the doesn't Colts, that feel like that would be a natural transition to the NFL if you're a three-year 
starting guard at Alabama? You would think. I think a lot of people thought he would be drafted, um, but did not get drafted. But he walks into a situation that, again, I think the Colts could use some help there. So I think he's an undrafted free agent that could you know, not only make the team, but potentially push Will Fries for some playing time. Last year, the Colts started up their streak of undrafted free agents again. They had had, I think it was... I want to say it was like 22 or 23 straight years. Then that streak ended, but last year it started back up with Dallas Flowers, JoJo Doman, and Wesley French. I'm not saying that I'm that my mind is weird, but when I keep hearing you say the rookie minicamp, uh-huh. for some reason I, I juxtapose it in my mind and I hear you saying mini rookie camp, and I just think of all these like little guys. Out there as rookies. Well, there will like, be some smaller players. Are you saying Josh Downs? Like like little tiny guys, like running around. You know what I mean? Well, the brain is weird party. I don't like think that, anybody that, would debate. Like that Vern Troyer, for example, mm-hmm. if he was trying RIP. out. You know what I mean? It could be a Darren Sproles type. I don't know if Vern Troyer would have been, but yes. But they'd love to find a Darren Sproles type. I think we know that, right? Honestly, hasn't Shane Steichen basically said like... Well, we'll see about Evan Hull who we have with Pat Fitzgerald coming up here in a bit, uh, the Northwestern running back. Not necessarily in that mold, but again, as a pass-catching back out of the backfield, that is something the Colts certainly need. little tents that have like little tents at their camp. And we'll get more on that. Have you pronounced the, or uh, have you practiced the pronunciation of the other Northwestern player yet? I have, yep. Tommy. Oh, you're just bailing out like that? Yep, that's what he said. Well, he says on first reference... He would appreciate the full name. Understood. And then and so Tommy when, after that. So when we have him on, you will introduce him, and then I'll call him Tommy. Adetamawa Adabare. That's not bad. Adetamawa Adabare. Pat right? Fitzgerald will certainly have a team. Adetamawa Adabare. That's not I, bad. I think you got it. Uh, but up next, Anthony Richardson, quarterback's coach, Will Hewlett. He joins us on the other side. All right, good Tuesday morning to you. Got a nice-looking start to this day here in Indy. Temperature-wise, though, probably going to be a bit chilly Uh, And then warm up later in the week. Speaking of later in the week, he will be back in Indianapolis coming up Thursday night. First rookie minicamp practice for Anthony Richardson will be Friday. And to get more into Anthony Richardson and a big part of his development, Will Hewlett, uh, quarterbacks collective. He's been working with Anthony for the past few months. He joins us now. Will, good morning. Good morning, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, appreciate the time. Um, if you know, you obviously have been pretty much the quarterbacks coach for Anthony Richardson post Florida here. If we would have had this conversation last Tuesday, and I would have said to you, Anthony Richardson will be a Colt coming up, your level of surprise would have been what? Uh, not very high. Um, yeah, I was very confident. Just uh, if a certain certain things fell into place in the first and second pick, that uh, he was going to be a Colt for sure. Will, in working with him, before we get to some of the areas that need work about Anthony Richardson, let me give you this platform and let you run with it. If you were to close your eyes and envision a play in the National Football League where the game is on the line and you are watching Anthony Richardson under center for the Indianapolis Colts and he makes a play that has Joe Buck marveling on television and you break out in a sly grin and say to yourself, that's exactly what I knew he could do and why he was selected fourth. That play unfolds how? 
Uh, there's going to be some form of pressure uh, because that's what we do with young quarterbacks. We pressure young quarterbacks. He is going to a palm in the pocket, uh, probably climb, make a little move, and then throw the ball, I don't know, 65 plus yards down the field with ease uh, on the money over the shoulder for a touchdown. That's how it's going to unfold. And, uh, yeah, I, I, he does that, and he does that very well. So is the ability for Richardson to extend time in the pocket most based on, A, his unique ability to feel pressure around him and then know where to slide, B, his massive physical size that just makes it difficult for him to be brought down, or C, his arm talent that allows him to throw through angles that others would not? Uh, D, all of the above. Um, but I think if we're, you know, his uniqueness in the pocket, his presence there, I think is something that's probably underrated. Um, or underappreciated, maybe. Um, I don't know. Some people have talked about it, but often when you have a quarterback that is a threat um, from a running standpoint and has the ability to kind of break off explosive plays with their feet, um, you know, and then maybe put into a category of like accuracy issues that we overlook some of the other things that I think we would grade highly um, regardless of style of play. And so pocket movement for me is always one of the things that you can see on film his presence and awareness. You know, he keeps his eyes downfield. He doesn't get flustered. Has um, been a very high, um, I think, recruitable trait for Anthony. Yeah, poise was something Chris Bauer mentioned last Thursday night when the Colts took him as little to no worry for the Colts. Again, Will Hewlett is with us, uh, quarterbacks coach for Anthony Richardson. Uh, over the past few months, four on-field sessions each week for them. Will, it seems the deep ball is really of no concern. It's more of the short stuff with Anthony Richardson. So uh, just fundamentally, what have you been trying to get him to work on uh, since his career ended at Florida? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a couple things from a technical standpoint, and I think it's 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 important to say that we're you know in in this process um, we're, we're going to shy away from uh, yes, like were there missed throws that that didn't go the way they you know should have gone that look, look, look somewhat simple. Um, and, and the irony is, if you dig through everyone's film, you can find a bunch of those on from other quarterbacks, but. Um, you know, so there was this narrative we had to kind of clear up, and this and some fun things fundamentally we had to clear up from a, from just a consistency standpoint. Um, he is, uh, you know, obviously still young. Um, he's, you know, not 21 yet, and um, so there's just a volume of repetitions uh, that that he still needs to get in. And I think he's, he's, you know, we've accelerated that process considerably. Um, but we wanted to clear up some of the mechanics on the front side of his throw, just be a little bit more controlled with um, his lower body, have more awareness. Uh, I think one of the problems that a lot of quarterbacks have, and you know, it's, it's just the dynamic of, of um, you know, football. Um, it, it's hard to be a specialist in throwing mechanics as a team coach. Um, so often things you think, well, why are the coaches coaching? They, they don't have time. Um, and that's why I have a job is because I have time in the off season to work through these things. So, you know, sequencing and, and areas that kind of clear up um, his ability to repeat. And then if he does make a mistake, that's kind of a mechanism to correct that mistake on the next rep. Uh, and that's just, you know, a little thought process. So I think, you know, years ago, there was a little picture of Tom Brady going into, uh, you know, camp. And um, he had written on his, on his uh, wrist, uh, wristband, it was like, 
you know, rotate late, stay close. It's like three little reminding cues, right? And so our job is to provide those types of cues, help him come up with those cues that allow him to, you know, if he does miss, um, have a mechanism to kind of correct that pretty quickly. Have you had any conversations with Shane Steichen about like him fundamentally and, and, and what you have worked on and what the Colts will try and continue to work on? Um, Shane, I just had a, a brief interaction with while I was in um, uh, in Indianapolis in the Combine. Uh, we didn't kind of jump into the fundamental side. Uh, we have spoken, our, our team here with um, Tom Gormelli and Danny Thompson um, have spoken, you know, in detail and depth with the cult staff um, in terms of building a support system and, and, and understanding what we've done down here in very, very high detail. Uh, so there's a, you know, a smooth transition. It's not, you know, traditionally um, in, in football, the football world, you know, the outside coaches do their thing and the, and the team coaches do their thing. Uh, I think people are realizing that, you know, the, the quarterback coach, uh, the private quarterback coach and, and the quarterback have a relationship um, that's, you know, that's considerable and deep and, and that will usually last and it's where they're going to spend their time in the offseason. And so um, they've done a phenomenal job of even like down to like, hey, the nutritionist you knew, um, you know, we want her information so we can fully understand how to support Anthony in this process going forward. Will Hewlett is our guest. He's with Quarterback Collective. He is the quarterback coach for Anthony Richardson. Will, I've got a two-part question here. Um, The first is this. Give me an aspect of quarterbacking that maybe is – like a natural instinct for a lot of quarterbacks that Anthony Richardson has yet to master. Good. Okay. Yep. Um, so I think um, probably the area that um, he has yet to master, but I think has made considerable um, um, progress on, and it was a very a major focus point going into the, the off season was, um, really understanding how to throw different speed, um, uh, you know, different levels of velocity on, on throws that are under 20 yards and below. And, and I think it was just, it's, it's fine-tuning the mechanics of his, his, his throw and then his awareness. And ironically, it's not that he was throwing the ball too hard on shorter throws, which you would think for a big-arm quarterback. Frequently, it wasn't that he was throwing it hard enough. Um, and he was kind of stuck in a little bit of a, you know, um, a gray area where he just, you know, had been told, hey, don't throw the ball hard. Uh, and that's a hard way to coach you. You know, that, that's a difficult um, uh, term for a quarterback to kind of swallow. So how do I not throw it hard? And so usually they could slow the throw down in, in ways that they probably shouldn't. So one of the things that we really spent time on was understanding, you know, actually how hard you can throw um, on, on shorter and intermediate routes. And then we're, especially when receivers were coming towards him, um, it, when he's able to throw them downfield or away from, you know, more of an anticipatory throw, that was, never seemed to be the, an issue. It was ones where they were coming directly at him. And in his mind, he was trying to control and help them, you know, not bounce the ball off their face mask. And we kind of changed his mindset and attitude and he even spoke about it. 
at the combine, kind of like, hey, it's my job to throw it. And if I throw it hard, they've got to get used to it, uh, something along those lines. And so that was an area I think that he's gotten considerably better at and will continue to improve at, and you'll see that in his game. Okay, so give me an area then. The other side of it for you, Will Hewlett, would be this. Give me an area that for most quarterbacks is a real challenge that you were surprised that it seemed to be completely natural to Anthony Richardson. Yes, 20 yards and above um, downfield on any outbreaking left or right um, or in-breaking throw, um, he was an absolute natural. Um, one of the throws at the combine is, is the uh, old dagger route, which is essentially an 18 to 20 yard dig in-breaking throw from the, from the outside wide receiver. And, and the, the way that you're taught to throw this ball in the NFL it's, it's not a, a you know, line drive, rip it as hard as you can. It is throw it one to two yards outside the hash. You throw it off a specific time, and the receiver has to intersect that point um, at that moment. And so it's a combination of, you know, of, a, of a hard breaking route. His ability to place that ball, and I think it was evident in the combine, I actually had an NFL coach um, when I was watching the combine in the stadium turn and look at, he knew that I coached Anthony, turn and look at me and literally with his jaw on the floor after he threw three dig, dig routes, in-breaking routes. And they were the best in-breaking digs at the combine, in my opinion. Um, I don't think it was televised. So I was a little upset that that part of it was missed. But those were three of his you know, best throws. Um, and he's just a natural at that, where a lot of guys have to really struggle with, with um, you know, placement, timing, and then again, down the field, outbreaking routes, just a really fantastic job of placing the ball in a position where that guy's going to be able to get it and the defensive back is it. Does he utilize his mobility and size to facilitate his passing, or does he utilize his passing to facilitate his mobility? Uh, that's a great question. I think um, depending on the situation, really, is, 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 you know, I know that one thing about Anthony is that if it's, if it's a down and distance situation and he's got to get the first down and he's going to get it with um, his mobility or even his one, one unique trait that Anthony has is he has the ability to, we actually measure this, but sustain a high level of speed with uh, additional weight attached to him. So he's like a diesel truck when he runs and you'll see it on film. He'll carry people. Um, and so when he's got to move the chains, then it's going to be, he's not afraid or worried about doing that with his lower body. Now, obviously, moving into the NFL, we want to be conscious of, you know, not taking unnecessary contact, making sure we're developed as a, a, a passer first. Um, but I think depending on the situation, he's going to rely on what he needs to. I think games in college sometimes um, this past year, you know, he was unsure of which side he should focus on. And I think that led to a little bit of the inconsistency early on in the year when he really just bought in and into what he was as a, as a, as a thrower, as a runner, as a passer, as, a, as a, an operator. Um, his game play went through the, through the roof and it just got better and better every week. Again, uh, Will Hewlett is with us, the quarterback coach for Anthony Richardson here over the past few months. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Will, um, you know, I, I'm sure this is probably a challenge for you at, at times, but like, how difficult is it to want to instill these changes, know that they need to have some fundamental changes for Anthony, but you don't want him to get to play like too robotic? You, you've, you've brought up the word natural a lot. I mean, there are a lot of natural instincts to him that obviously are very gifted. So where is that balance in trying to not get him to be too robotic, but obviously make some changes? 
Yeah, I think that's the, um, I, I think, and maybe the, the, the plug here for what we do, um, that's the art form in, in this draft process. Um, and that's why we had a lot of success with, uh, you know, last year we had Brock Purdy. Um, and, and so understanding what to do and how much to do, there is a very fine line, right? Because you don't want them going into an, uh, a competitive environment um, you know, overthinking what they're doing. Now, the irony is, is we are preparing for a dance recital, essentially, right? Like, it's not real football. I think that's important to identify. But it is important for coaches to pull back the, the curtains and kind of see what's under, you know, behind the scenes there. And, and you want to see people throw in person and see how the ball comes off and see the you know, intricacies or, or um, you know, different differences in quarterback to quarterback. So for us, it was really uh, making a conscious effort. You know, it, I have to I have a very short amount of time to get to know someone in terms of how they react to, to coaching and and how they um, you know and, and how I understand you know their little nuances of like okay that's that's when he's excited that's when he's frustrated. Um, so with Anthony, the good thing was it wasn't large mechanical changes. There was just a lot of it was having more awareness brought to certain areas. Um, it was being in a very specific focused routine that allowed him to be have consistency and build on everything that he was doing. Um, and, and so at certain points leading up to the combine, you know, the, the Friday before the combine, we do our, uh, our dry run through. And I literally tell him, I'm like, but I'm not going to coach you once today. You know, you, you miss, we're moving on. And uh, I, I remember that day, he didn't miss a single throw throughout walkthrough. And he, at the end of it, was like, I'm going to blow this thing up, speaking about the combine. Um, and, and so he knows, the one great thing about Anthony, too, that you'll see, you start at the pro day, start at the combine, you'll see them big moments. He's a showman. Um, like, you turn the lights on, and that kid is going to step up to the plate, and, and just, he loves um, being in that, that pressure situation. He makes, he, makes, he makes, as a coach, there's a, a nerve level that I deal with, um, you know, that being being honest, right? He makes you feel better about the environment you're in. So it, it's going to be fun to be his coach at the next level because, um, you know, it's going to be a, a good um, back and forth between those those guys and 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 uh, you know, watching the preparation pay off um, on Sundays. All right, well, last one for me, and thank you for the time this morning. Again, from the Quarterbacks Collective, he is Will Hewlett. Um, Jim Mersey mentioned that at one point during the process, he called Shane Steichen and said, all right, Shane, tell me why you think you know, Anthony Richardson can become a pure passer. When you look at the completion percentage number at Florida, it's obviously not a pretty number. If Jim Mersey were to call you and say, why is that number going to improve, your answer would be what? You know, I think there's, there's a, a couple levels to it. Um, and, and again, you know, I think Florida is in a, the University of Florida, they're going through transition with coaches, right? Their first year, new offense. Um, there's, you know, a lack of um, traditional explosive guys at receiver. Um, and I think, you know, comparatively speaking, you look at the rooms of the Ohio States and the Alabamas and the Georgias, you know, the LSUs of the world, um, there's some really, really talented dudes catching the ball, and it's not to take any away from the, the guys that they're just young and, and, and experienced. Um, and Anthony, you know, was the most explosive player on the field, um, and he wasn't throwing to himself. So I think there's, you know, uh, a level, and everyone's going to have drop balls. 
everyone's going to have misses. Everyone's going to have bonehead plays, right? And and so you got to take that into account. But I think those levels were probably substantially higher. And you know, he came out of the Mullen system. He was the first year in a new um, offensive system. You know, I think that that wasn't really focused around you know pushing the ball downfield with easy pass sets, right? There are a lot of like. You know, two tight end, one back or two back, one tight end, you know, more power run formations. Um, and, and they were learning about their, their staff was learning about their team just as much as Anthony was learning about the, the new offense. So there's, there's, you can, you can easily point at the numbers and say, Hey, uh, this wasn't as good as, as this team, this team, this team. And Ohio State and, and, and Alabama, those guys have been running the same system for years now and it's plug and play. Um, and, and so I think you'd find that the numbers would flip a little bit in different situations, but they weren't. So that's your job as a coach and a scout and an evaluator to really look at every single miss and every single decision and go, okay, like, how does, what does Anthony think about this? What does the staff think about this? And what do we think about that? And I think if you do that objectively, you look at the, um, him every single snap the right way, then you're gonna, you can't not look at the film and go, dang, like we, we, gotta, we gotta draft this guy. I don't know how we don't. Um, there's, there's no wrong decision in picking Anthony Richardson um, uh, as high as he went. And, and um, you know, I, I think they're, they're confident in that, and, and so am I. Will, lastly, and I probably should have asked this at the outset of the interview, so I apologize to give you this platform, but uh, Will Hewlett is our guest who was the quarterback coach for Anthony Richardson. Uh, if you could, how did your relationship in terms of coaching Anthony Richardson, what is the origin of that? And what other or how many other quarterbacks have you worked with that give you kind of the barometer by comparatively which to gauge Anthony Richardson? Yeah, uh, I appreciate you asking. So for, for Anthony, um, I had one interaction with him prior to his final season at the University of Florida. Um, a good friend of mine and um, training partner, his name is Danny Thompson, was was um, Anthony's uh, private coach during during his high school years and at Florida. Um, we also had a pretty strong, I personally had a pretty strong relationship with some of the staff at University of Florida. Um, and so there was, there was a natural um, familiarity. Um, and I think Anthony knew that he, he liked um, the system based on the success that we'd had um, on the performance side with, um, you know, our, our performance part. I think at Torque, it's a very reputable, you know, the guys that, that run that, you know, work with Matthew Stafford and, um, and, and Brock Purdy and um, a bunch, uh, Gardner Minshew. <laughs> so Gardner's a guy that's also worked with, that works with our, with our crew here. Um, so through that process, um, you know, it was one of those things where it just seemed like a natural fit for Ant to, you know, take a little 90-minute hike up to, to, to the Jacksonville area and start his off-season training. And uh, that's kind of how that relationship, you know, grew and, and um, you know, was uh, really just a, a, a good fit that I, that I felt like that, you know, really benefited him um, short-term and long-term. And then from a comparative standpoint, I think the only other person that I've seen that blows my mind when I see them throw the football um, is Caleb Williams at University of um, Southern California. I've uh, worked with him since they grade. Um, and that's, that's a young man. Before I met Anthony, I, I said, I've never seen a better in-person thrower than that kid. Um, well, Ant did some things daily that I'm like, I have never seen anyone do that before. Um, so there's not many, there's not many good comps out there. I think Josh Allen is an easy one to make 
not because of the physical stature, the style of play. And that's probably a good one. Um, but it, I think Ant really is his own player, and um, y'all are going to get to see that uh, unfold this next fall. Again, rookie minicamp coming up on Friday. That'll be Anthony Richardson's first time on the field here in Indy. Will, great stuff. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. You you. know, I I probably should start there. Uh, Great stuff. Anthony seems like a really, really um, just – I think fans are going to appreciate him and how he's wired. Uh, confidence yet fully acknowledges the hard work is needed. That's a special quality. So uh, we are excited to watch it all unfold and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's Will Hewlett. Again, quarterback's collective there. You mentioned Brock Purdy. Again, Gardner Minshew has worked out with Anthony Richardson before. I think with big guys, Jake, you naturally get this. I think you get it like in the NBA maybe with like foul shooting. The touch part of the game can be difficult. I think for Anthony Richardson, that's where he has to grow as a thrower. Can you paint the corners while also throwing the fastball 102? Right, and that's the that's kind of been the knock on Richardson so far. Right, is the, the you know the short slant on third and eight. Yes, it's a lot of the underneath stuff, zero to ten yards, the ball placement within that. Um, I thought that was pretty insightful there. You know, what it reminds me of. Do you remember a kid that played at Iowa named Chris Kingsbury? Kind of that a Steph a long Curry. Time ago. I'll go with Steph Curry then. Okay. Steph Curry's probably a bad example because he's pretty darn electric. But um, it feels like Steph Curry, you have a better chance of him hitting a 35 foot pull up than you do him hitting a 12 footer off a curl. And that's Anthony Richardson, by what he's describing there, better odds at him hitting a 60 yard out than a third and eight slant. And you gotta you gotta fix work that. On the, yeah. You have to fix that right. again. Right now, you'd probably say he's a eighty percent runner, twenty percent thrower. Just especially if you don't long, have the line to give you the time to get receivers down that far. Yeah, longevity in this league that, that that's got to change a bit. It, it's a great asset is running, but you know, can you get that a little bit closer to fifty fifty to where his throwing can be reliable and can be a strength? All right, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern head coach, on the other side. Jake, in a way, I feel like I've looked in the mirror like, I don't know, maybe 10 times since the Colts took one of these two Northwestern Wildcats on Saturday, and I've just said to myself, Adetamiwa Adabare. That's, now say it again. Adetamiwa Adabare. Tommy, yep. Yeah, Tommy, after that first reference. That's what he told us on Saturday. Um, and, and maybe I've done that to maybe prepare myself for our next guest. That would be the head coach of the Northwestern Wildcats, Pat Fitzgerald. Coach, if you're going to grade me, 1 to 10, how'd that sound? Hey, that was excellent. Not bad for a first-timer. I, I would I would uh, strongly recommend the Tommy. Uh, I, I think you'll be able to uh, do a great job with that. But, man, oh, man, did the Colts get two great, great guys and Unbelievable players, man. We're fired up. Okay, now, Coach, I want you to grade me as well, uh, and I'll do my best here. Give me an A to F score. Uh, Evan Hole. <laughs> Is it was that Hole or Hull? Hole. H U L L. Hole. See, where are you from? Like Cleveland? I mean, oh boy, right oh here boy. in Indy, baby. Uh, you know what? And <laughs> now, now, here's the thing, Coach. Be careful because, like an hour ago, I was like, you know, this Pat Fitzgerald seems like a cool dude. Like he'd be a cool guy to hang out with. <laughs> And then here we are. We're off to this right now. Evan Hall. Uh, Did I say it wrong, or is it Hall? Yeah, no. It, it, listen, guys, love it, man. It's good stuff. Yeah, it, listen, uh, you're gonna really like these two guys. Uh, I think number one, you know, I got to tip my hat to Chris and, and his staff. I mean, it, unbelievable job that they have always done. Uh, I've known you know Chris for a long time, and you know, you want to talk about being thorough, uh, doing it the right way in, in, in the evaluation process. 
uh, and, and I think being really convicted with, uh, you know, the decisions they make are best for the organization. So we're, we're incredibly thankful uh, to have two of our guys going to Indy. And um, I, I think the community, more than anything, is going to really enjoy the impact that both Tommy and Evan have because they'll be more than just football players. They're terrific men. Uh, they're going to be great teammates, and they're going to be uh, involved and engaged in the, in the community. By yeah. the way, does Cleveland have an accent? I, Chicago has an accent. Now, Indianapolis no, no, has kind right. of a, <laughs> Indy's got a subtle twang. I, I'll admit that. Like, I go places and people are like, you from the South? I'm like, what, are you kidding me? I'm from Indianapolis. <laughs> I'm thrown off here. Uh, hey, um, Coach, let me ask you. You know, it's probably interesting, and, and I'm curious your standpoint on this, because, um, you know, look, I – I do think you. I think you're a heck of a football coach, and I think Northwestern has shown that. I, I know last year, probably in wins and losses, it wasn't where you wanted to be, but I feel like players coming out of Northwestern are going to be pretty sound football players. So, is it ever of surprise to you which players are drafted and which are not? In other words, do you feel that there really is much transition between the college game and the NFL game, and what guys are expected to do? Yeah, I think it's a huge transition. You know, number one, I lived it, right, as a player. And now, let, let, let me not insult any guy that's played in the NFL. I mean, I did not have the athleticism even belong in a camp back in the 90s. But, um, you know, it's it's the 1% of the 1% of athletes that play our game. And um, it's just you, you have to be absolutely uh, relentless in everything you do as far as being a player on Sunday. And some guys are just incredibly talented and they can get away with it for a while, but uh, more times than not, it comes back to your attitude, you know, what type of teammate you are, uh, you know, the relentless work ethic that you have. And then you got to be able to make plays and play within the framework of what you're being asked to do. And uh, are there more guys that I wish got opportunities? Absolutely. But it's simple economics, man. It's supply and demand. Uh, there's a finite number of jobs uh, in the NFL on the field, and uh, there's so many guys that want the opportunity. So, you know, when, when number 259 got picked, a young man from Toledo, or, hey, it's Mr. Irrelevant. I don't know. 259 guys got their name called. I think it's pretty freaking relevant, man. I mean, it's a, it, it's a big deal. So, um, you know, it's, it's great to see our guys. We had four get drafted this year and, and uh, three more that are getting camp invites. So, uh, you're right. Our record wasn't what it was, what we wanted to be for sure. Uh, but uh, we're not as far away, maybe as our record indicates. Losing five one-score games and a couple games by two scores, we're we're not that far away. And uh, you know, excited to get back to India and play in the championship. You know, we've been there two out of the last five years, and uh, there's no doubt that's a driving force of every team in the Big Ten. Uh, he is the second longest tenured coach in the Big Ten. Pat Fitzgerald with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, two draft picks for the Colts coming up on day three from his program. Let's get into those two, both of them captains. Tommy, you know, set the combine on fire. If it wasn't for Anthony Richardson, it was probably Tommy, the guy that, you know, drew the most headlines there. We're talking 284 pounds, and he ran a faster 40 than the draft picks the Colts made at corner and wide receiver just ahead of them. Uh, how do you see his best fit at the next level? Yeah, yeah, I really think he's going to move inside and go, you know, progress full time to becoming a three technique defensive tackle. Um, you know, we were in the process of doing that. You know, Tommy came in as a developmental guy, meaning just he was a little weight-wise undersized. And, man, you want to talk about uh, uh, just absolute stud in his work ethic in the weight room. And um, that, he had great traits and great talent coming in, but it was just 
his relentless work ethic that uh, you know really led him to that that type of performance. Got better every year, and now that he's going to focus on one position, uh, the sky's the limit for him. And so, you know, some organizations want guys already at 330 pounds, and you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, I think the Colts are going to be able to, you know, add, you know, just a handful of more pounds as as he progresses through his career. And, you know, you're going to probably see a guy in a year, 295, 300 pounds, that's, that's running for something fast and uh, hopefully having a party in the backfield in the AFC. Okay, then Evan Hull, um, you know, he's a guy that I feel like from a pass-catching standpoint, the Colts need to try and tap into that. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor speaks for itself, but kind of getting that third-down guy. Hull certainly caught the ball out of the backfield for you, but it almost seems like you're selling him short if you only label him as that. I mean, 2,000 rushing yards, you know, over the last couple years. Yeah, complete back. He can do it all. He's, uh, number one, just like Tommy, but high-level football intelligence. Uh, We asked him to line up and motion and shift and to be – he had to do a lot from the standpoint of not only learning running back and, and where his reads were and his cuts, but then protections. Uh, and then, you know, being able to line up anywhere on the field and then the entire route tree and then, you know, coverage concepts. So, uh, you know, as far as that, I think you're, you're going to check the box of a young man that uh, is very hungry, you know, under recruited, you know, we offered him late uh, state champion, hundred meters wrestler, uh, in high school, and then, uh, you know, humbled to a point where I think you're going to see him be willing to do whatever the team asks him to do. If it's special teams, if it's third, whatever is needed, that's what you're going to get from Evan. And again, like you said, two guys that were captains for us that, um, you know, are just really special people beyond, uh, you know, their amazing traits on the field. Coach, I want to go back to Pat Fitzgerald, the head coach at Northwestern, is our guest on the Payless Liggers Hotline. I want to go back to uh, Adebore. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, mm-hmm. In his background, you know, he was born and raised in Kansas City, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But his parents come to the United States from Nigeria in the mm-hmm. in the 90s, which makes me feel really old, right? Um, <laughs> but. I oftentimes feel like, and I want to make sure that I'm not romanticizing a story that doesn't exist, okay? But my thought process would be that this is a young man that, while he was born and raised in the U.S., he's seeing right underneath his own roof two people who understand the dedication and the work ethic and the sacrifice that goes towards being successful to be able to make a life for themselves in a new land. And that example carries itself for a young person, even when he has God-given athletic ability. Did yeah, you witness no, that? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that'll be a great conversation for you guys to have with Tommy and let you know him share his thoughts. There's no doubt family is the foundation, and uh, his parents are terrific. It's, we try to get his next youngest brother. Uh, he, he decided to go to a school in Norman, Oklahoma. I don't know why he would have done that. I mean, he would have looked pretty darn good in purple, too. But we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in the portal world. But uh you know, I'll probably get charged with tampering now. But, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, it's it's a special family, and again, like like Evan. I mean, Tommy's the same way. I mean, just a sell, he just you, you guys are going to love him. I mean, he's and the, and the organization is going to love him. I mean, this is a guy that wanted during training camp when everybody else was going back to take a nap. He wanted to watch film with with the coaches. I mean, he's um, he's really a special guy. And you know, we moved him around a lot, and now that he's going to play just one position. It's going to be great. But the family, I'd, I'd rather have him, you know, really elaborate for you guys. And I think all of your listeners and everybody in Indianapolis will be blown away. 
Coach, I want to go back to something you said at the start um, and, you know, maybe any conversations you had with Chris Ballard during this process on these guys. Because, you know, I remember when the Colts drafted Anthony Walker in 2017. I mean, you talk about someone that I think Ballard said he's going to take his job one day just in how intelligent and how important he was for you guys. And obviously he's had a great NFL career. So what did you tell Chris or anybody associated, I guess, with the Colts when they asked you about Tommy and Evan? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, again, like like most organizations, but you know, the, when the when the Colts come through here, um, you know, they're area scouts, is, and then then you could tell, you know, when all of a sudden it goes like director of college scouting, and you know, it it starts to move up the uh, the, the corporate ladder there, so to speak, in the scouting world. Uh, you know, they're always incredibly thorough, and uh, for us, what makes it so fun working with um, you know our colleagues in the NFL regarding our players is it's it's so easy to be honest you know it's it, we don't have you know anything to hide with our guys and so the conversations are pretty straightforward and um you know it was it was like hey listen this kid's not even you know with tommy in particular he's not even close to what he's going to be uh and if, if 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 he does declare what he ended up doing uh you're going to see someone who's going to put up pretty special numbers what those are specifically we don't know but i, I we th- we thought everybody would be impressed and then like I said, you know, Tommy first goes to the Senior Bowl and just shows off his explosiveness and his violence and his physicality, um, and, and then goes to the Combine and puts on, you know, one of the best, if not the best ever, uh, as a defensive tackle from a standpoint of performance. So um, he's just scratching the surface. He, he's uh, he's going to be a guy that we believe is going to play for a long time. But Chris is a pro's pro. He and his staff are phenomenal. Uh, there's there's nobody better in the business and. It's just been a privilege to get to know him and his staff and, and the way the Colts organization goes about their business. When they go about that business and asking you, Pat Fitzgerald, about players, I mean, whether it be these two or other players, maybe they even ask you about guys you you saw on the opposite side from around the league. I don't know. But what percent of the evaluation that the Indianapolis Colts do do you feel like is non-football related in other words yeah. getting to yeah. know the person that they're getting and the commitment very high the percentage would be very high you know you'd have to ask chris specifically and you know kind of what they and how they want to do it but there, it is very evident uh the the culture looking for a very specific person uh they want to create a culture in the organization that, that i think starts just me as an outsider uh it starts with having just incredible people uh, in the organization, and that, at that core is the locker room. And um, you know, we, we've been we've been very fortunate. You mentioned Anthony Walker. I mean, it's you guys have drafted three of our captains. And, you know, I'll just say that. You know, I think that that's valued. I think that there's you know a lot of synergy in the way that we look at high school recruits, the same way that kind of Chris and his staff look at look at you know college prospects. That it's you know there, there's there's certain things you can see on tape, but more importantly, when things get challenging or things get successful. You know who is this young person going to be, and, and they usually revert back to that, regardless. And um, you know, you guys have taken three of our best that I've ever had the privilege to coach, and I look forward to these two guys making an instant impact in the organization this year. You know, one of the guys too, while we have you here, coach, that I wanted to ask you about, um, just because he's from the area, and, and I think his story is fascinating because it was so circuitous. And Hunter Johnson was a young man that was the number one recruit in the country coming out of high school, goes to Clemson, gets in the portal, goes to Northwestern, portals back to Clemson. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, was he? I, I don't mean this to be harsh on him. I don't know the young man. I'm not going to say was he misevaluated. Yeah. But but how does one go from being, the, you know, the number one can't miss player to a guy that is essentially each place he goes kind of vying for time? Yeah. I, well, I, I think if, there's a lot of unfair expectations put on young people in high school. I think that's number one. Uh, very, first of all, an unbelievable young man. I mean, incredible. And, um, you know, recently married and uh, was awesome while he was here. And, uh, you know, earned the starting job twice. You know, to his credit, he was, you know, right there. And it just it just didn't work. And, you know, I got asked kind of the same questions, and, and I'll, I'll project it back to me. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a two-time All-American. I don't get drafted. You know, things happen. It just it, Sometimes it just, you know, it just it just happens where it just doesn't all work out. But he put everything into it that he could. I, I hope and pray that he has no regrets. Um, and I think he just gave everything he had. And you know, as as all of us end up eventually doing to play this great game, we we get welcome to the greatest retirement club in America, and that's called Retired Football Players of America Association. And uh, for some of us, it's grade school, some of it's high school, some of it's college, some of it's pros. And um, Hunter is a great person and was a great player for us, uh, and we were just thankful to have him be a part of our program. Well, I think the fact that he was welcomed back to Clemson shows that clearly there were no character issues there, right? I mean, you know what no, I mean? We wanted, we, no, we wanted him to have him come back here and uh, – you know, it was it was a great situation. I think he kind of went down there and was a, a pseudo-GA. I know there was a very significant other in his life that was from Clemson, South Carolina. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't move Northwestern to, to Clemson. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, dude, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think if you got both, or, or excuse me, all three of us, myself, Hunter and Dabo in a room, we'd, we'd all, it would be a, one of those bro fests, you know, where we all... <laughs> You know, we all, I think we all love each other, and, and uh, we all, I know Dabble and I both think the world of Hunter, and, uh, you know, we, I'm just thankful he was in our program, and I'm thankful that he touched our, our lives, and I had a chance to coach his older brother, Cole, too. So, I mean, it, it's a great family, and uh, he, he did a great job for us, and, and uh, was an awesome teammate, and just really thankful to have him be a part of our program. Lastly, I got to ask, Coach, I went to the Birmingham Barons game. I was in Birmingham for IndyCar over the weekend. Went to the, see the Birmingham Barons on Saturday. They're the double-A affiliate. Are, are they better right now than your White Sox as the double-A uh, team? Is that because of the Cleveland comment earlier? <laughs> <laughs> I just read your White Sox fan. I mean, I know you sang Take Me Out to the Ball Game at Wrigley. And then people yeah. are like, "Well, wait a minute! This guy's a Southside dude, so he's a White yeah. Sox guy." So yeah. I kind of, I kind of like the White Sox. They're struggling, but I kind of like going to games at, at, at yeah. the park there. Yeah. Well, we call White. Yeah. I mean, it's I think guaranteed right now. It's it's, it's been a little. It's been a little. I mean, I still names. say Comiskey, but I, you know. Comiskey. Yeah, my dad calls it Sox Park. You know, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, man, I'm a I'm a Chicago fan. I mean, I've I've got some buddies on the South Side that every time I see take me out to the ball game at Wrigley. Uh, I get the hate text, you know, and and, and and I get it, and I love those guys, you know, they'll always be my boys. But uh, you know, we live in in, in, a, in a in a pretty cool place. I mean, we're going to play again against Iowa at Wrigley this year. Uh, we're getting ready to redo Ryan Field, and so we'll be you know displaced for a couple seasons. And uh, you know, the T's are getting crossed and the I's are getting dotted, but it looks like Wrigley's going to be in the plan for that, and maybe some other venues here around Chicago beyond Soldier Field. So. Um, I, I, I just, I, I told my boys at some point in my life, I'm going to see a red line world series. 
where the Cubs play the White Sox, and this this city will go up for grabs. Don't think it's going to be this year, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that that is smart by you singing at Wrigley. NIL money, whether it's a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan, all counts the same for you. Listen, dude, if we had NIL in the '90s, man, come on, yeah. I, I would have crushed it. You would have been banking, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, crushed it. Yeah, You'd be I set. Mean, yeah, think about think about that statue Peyton Manning has. I mean, she's probably <laughs> on the building. You know, it's, you know, with the way Tennessee goes about this thing. But yeah, no, it's it's great. It's awesome, and uh, you know, all the all the football fans in Indy. You know, I'll, I'll say this: we've had the privilege of playing the Big Ten championship twice. And uh, it, it's been awesome. And the hospitality, uh, the venue is incredible. Uh, it, it truly is a destination uh, that we all are fighting for in the Big Ten. And uh, I, I can't thank everybody down there enough for the great experiences we've had and, and look forward to fighting our tail to get back. You know, it's, uh, it's something special to be a part of it once, to be a part of it twice was surreal, but the next time we we're, we're there, we need to get we need to get the dub. I mean, I'm getting tired of being uh, you know. Number, I feel like kind of uh, you know they call me number two. You know, I don't. Hey, you got like you guys hung like, in there pretty well a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. If you're not first, you're last, right? And I was last last year, so I'm tired of that garbage too. But uh, you know, it's 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 a great hub for for the Big Ten championship, and I uh, just appreciate Alberta's hospitality, Coach. Whenever we have a guy on here that I that I just feel like is a cool dude, I always say. I was invited to my PBR party. I'm always like, you want to just come over and like, we'll just hang out and have a PBR and have a PBR party. In your case, you're Chicagoan, so I'll make it an old style party. Diet cokes are perfectly sufficient if you're not a beer guy. But <laughs> yeah, I'm good with, but, I'm but good like, with beer. Yeah, I, I, I think like beer. you'd be fun to have an old style with. So if I'm in Chicago, we're gonna have an old or, or if you come for the Big Ten championship game, and because I know you have all kinds of free time, then we'll yeah. do an old style party. Yeah, I'm only coming when we're playing. It's like I, you know, I get we get to go to the Rose Bowl as Big Ten coaches, and I haven't gone since I played. It's like I don't eat In-N-Out Burger. Like we got to earn that stuff, you know. When I go out California recruiting, but uh, I, I'm in, man. Let's let's do it, and uh, we, I, I'd love to do it. And let's have a find a great charity and, and do a little fundraiser. Maybe we'll do a watch party or something like that. We'll have some fun and get after it, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll Uber home. It'll all be good. Hell that yeah. is a hell of an idea, right there. Pat Fitzgerald, head coach of the Northwestern Wildcats, again, coach of a couple of Colts draft picks here in 2023. Coach, can't thank you enough. Great stuff, and uh, good luck this fall. All right, guys, thanks a lot. And to all of our Cat fans in Indy, appreciate your support, too. Go Cats and go Colts. Thanks, guys. Pat Fitzgerald right there on the Payless Slickers hotline. It was that COVID year, but that Big Ten title game against Ohio State, they gave Ryan Day and company pretty much everything they could handle there in that game. I did see uh, Hunter Johnson, who we talked about there, um, Steelers invite to their rookie Correct. mini camp for Hunter Johnson. So what you'll see later this week, you'll see a lot of – invites to rookie minicamp not an undrafted free agent not a draft pick each team probably has about 20 or so invitees and typically at least speaking for the Colts a couple of those guys end up then getting on the 90-man roster uh, after the weekend so it is an opportunity to showcase yourself on the practice field for a couple of days on that what if we just do it like Northwestern comes for the Big Ten title game and we just end up doing an old style party all the money going to like the Children's Bureau or... Mm-hmm. That sounds like a hell of an idea. Firefly or something like that. I love, game for it, it sounds like. I love the Wrigley thing for Northwestern. Yeah. Now, didn't they... Was it Notre Dame and Northwestern that played at Wrigley? And they could only go in one direction? Uh, no, I, it wasn't Notre was, Dame. I, I think it was Northwestern and Illinois. Okay, and yeah. they could only go in one direction though, right? Yeah, and which was weird Purdue because... Didn't Purdue play the, him last year up there? I believe so. 
But yeah, I mean the Bears played at Wrigley Field before Soldier Field, and how they only were able to do one goalpost. Wrigley Field why. for a long time. This may still be the case. Wrigley Field has hosted more National Football League games, I believe, than any stadium in the country. I believe right? that's correct. Yeah. I mean, it may have been surpassed. Scream, by now, Scotty? Question. By a pop quiz question. Uh, Patrick tweeted this uh, over under three and a half games until Anthony Richardson is starting. Under. Under. So basically, do you think he will start a game in September? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Probably when does go the on schedule that release? Uh, next Thursday. I've got. Is that, fig- is that for sure? Because I heard that was rumors. Is that for sure now? I thought. I don't know if we've got like an NFL announcement about it, but I believe that is the early conjecture. So next Thursday that. is when I let you guys know my vacation schedule because <laughs> it's going to be around the bye. Oh, More is likely. that what you're doing? More Catering than likely, around the yeah. bye. Uh, last year, the Colts had a super late buy into the month of December. Uh, AFC North, NFC South. Those are the two divisions the Colts will play here coming up. The season, obviously, Bryce Young at Carolina. Frank Reich, that will be a game that, that could be a good like Thursday night storyline game. Thursday night game. That feels like a Thursday night game for sure. You know, throw that on there. Uh, pop quiz coming up here in a few. If you missed it up on the podcast uh, here post-show, Will Hewlett, the quarterback's coach for Anthony Richardson, and then that interview, if you just missed it, uh, Pat Fitzgerald, a coach of Aditami Wa Adabare, uh, the defensive tackle from Northwestern, and Evan Hull, the running back, a couple day three picks for the Colts. Um, so that'll be up on the podcast. For now, let's lead off with James Harden on the morning checkdown. The morning checkdown. Omaha! 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 On 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Uh, James Harden was incredible, and Malcolm Brogdon made one of the dumber plays probably of Malcolm Brogdon's career, which, honestly, when you talk about Brogdon, you think of him extremely smart, not one that turns the ball over a whole lot. He had one turnover last night in 33 minutes. Made a count. And it went right to Tyrese Maxey with the Celtics up one with about 30 seconds to play. And the shot clock, too, was at, like, one second. I don't know. He clearly obviously lost time of that. Um, so that was a huge play, but the biggest play was with the Celtics up one and Al Horford on James Harden. Harden did this. Difference of two seconds, game clock and shot clock. Harden sizing up Horford. It's a three. Oh! Harden's got 45! Timeout, Boston! Celtics um, had to sit and watch. Watch that one go through. Sixers win. 119-115. They take a one-love advantage. Harden, as you mentioned, finished with 45. Tyrese Maxey had 26. Tobias Harris, 18 for the Sixers. And as you would mentioned, West Coast Nuggets and Suns, 97-87. Denver winning last night in a game that you almost forget about. And that's just so typical of the Nuggets. I mean, you don't think about the Denver Nuggets, but man. I mean, Jokic with 39 and 16 boards. Aaron Gordon added 16 Caldwell Pope with 14. They got a nice team. They're loaded. Chris Paul got hurt last night, so we'll see about the groin injury for him. They do have a couple of days off uh, moving forward. Uh, tonight, who are we going with? Knicks trying to even up a 1-1, and the Warriors at home against the Lakers. Knicks are at home, right? Knicks are at home, favored by 6.5 over I'll the I'll go East. Knicks tonight. We'll see about Jimmy Butler's injury situation, Julius Randle as well. Knicks Warriors are- favored by 4.5. Yeah, Knicks and Warriors. Mark? Uh, give me Heat and Warriors. I, it's hard to go against the Heat, man. Every time you think that they, you know, every time you think they're down and out, they come back and you're just like, man. Uh, Major League Baseball. 5 1 Cubs over the Nationals yesterday. It was the Padres 
8-3 over the Reds. Three-game win streak now for the for the pods. Dodgers over the Phillies, 13-4. Toronto, short end against Boston. Red Sox win at 6-5. Guardians over the Yankees, 3-2. Apparently, that's uh, Pat Fitzgerald's favorite team, the Cleveland Guardians. And the Astros, 7-3 over the San Francisco Giants. Um, that probably covers everything. I guess a little bit of NHL. Oh, yeah. So Game devil, 7 yesterday. Devils get it done? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they shut out the Rangers... Four nothing. So that Wait, was. Uh, so do we have to redo Who our? The devil, buddy. We're number one. We beat anybody. We're the devils. The devils. <laughs> so let's check out the NHL playoffs now. Okay, the way that they are set. So the Devils have advanced. That's right. Correct. Yes. Devils and Hurricanes. Seven last night. So yeah, they're taking on the uh, Florida Pan. Or they're taking on the. Uh, Devils yeah, and Hurricanes. Carolina Hurricanes, yes. Tonight, it'll be the Panthers and Maple Leafs. Those are your four out of the East. And then out West, it'll be the Kraken and the Stars and Edmonton and Vegas. Oh, uh, Oilers all day, buddy. That team was... Edmonton ain't nothing without the city of Indianapolis. I'll go the Hurricanes. I've been an Oilers fan for years. Mm-hmm. Give me Carolina. Back when they bought Gretzky and Messier's contracts. All Oilers, all in. I love the, the mall there. I went on a roller coaster... They have a roller coaster in the world's largest mall in Edmonton, and I was sitting there looking at the roller coaster inside, and there was some guy next to me, and I'm like, I'll ride this thing if you do. And he's like, okay. And they take your picture and give it to you, so I have a picture of me <laughs> going down the hill with some guy from Peru. No, Portugal. He was from Portugal. Well, I'm glad he was very memorable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was. I have the photo at home. The two of us, the guy looks like he's about to puke, little Portuguese fella, and we're riding the, just two, just two guys hanging out, riding a roller coaster at the mall, getting ready to hit Bath and Body Works. Mark, you got a favorite series? Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite series. Probably Kraken and the Stars? Panthers, Maple Leafs, I think. I want to see if Florida can ride it after they you know, knocked out the Bruins, the number one seed and all that stuff. And then plus the Maple Leafs are always fun. Toronto fans have been starving for a contender. So I've give been me, waiting to dust Panthers, off my, Maple Leafs. I've got an old Oilers sweatshirt I've had for years. Been waiting I thought it was a off. flame sweatshirt you had last year. Uh, well, I like the flames too, but I've been a big Oilers guy. He's got one of those like removable decals. You can just change <laughs> uh-huh. the. Honestly, the Go East flames. teams, uh, certainly the Maple Leafs hit history, but Panthers, Hurricanes, and Devils, there's not a lot of recent history there. Scotty disagrees. He's like, recent? no, that's, that's not correct. Hurricanes? Hurricanes? Yeah. I'm certainly cracking. Don't have that out, out west. Uh, we'll see if Vegas can get it done as they will take on the Oilers. So um, those games, again, two tonight and then two tomorrow. Wait, did I see, are the Dallas finals. Stars in there, did we Good, say? Uh, Stars and Kraken, right? Yeah, that just feels like a United Football League game on USA Network or something. I, I like the Kraken logo. I, it's okay. I, I don't like the colors, but the logo is pretty cool. They did a good job with it. It looks like a demonic seahorse, but that's cool. That's what it is, I guess, right? All right, tonight, or right now, I should say, it is time for the pop quiz. So 317-239-1070. Yesterday, I thought it was the easiest pop quiz in the history of Scotty Johnston. Scotty, today? A little harder. A little harder. Okay, we'll see. Yeah, four. Uh, 239-1070, give us a call now, and we will get you lined up for the pop quiz on a Tuesday and a good-looking one here on Kevin and Corey, 93.5107.5. All right, it's time for the pop quiz here, 317-239-1070. What you say was the hard one? Number four. Unless you go to Costco. No. I see you there. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see what you did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Makes sense. Great samples. Um, what were you saying, Anthony Richardson, jersey number? I had heard that Anthony Richardson will wear, will wear number five as a Colt. Yeah, that's what he said. That's mm-hmm. what he wore in high school, right? Uh, I don't know about high school. I thought he said it was his first ever number in football. If you were an athlete, what number would you wear? Uh, double zero. Mark? Seven. Okay. I think a lot of it depends on the position. Now, the NFL seems to be a little bit more open-minded to letting players wear different sorts of If you're numbers, a quarterback, right? what would you go with? Seven, Mark? Seven, sure. What would you be? Yeah, well, uh, double seven. zero. I'd be three. Yeah? Yep. Although, if I was a basketball player, I'd be three, but if three was taken, as opposed to getting into a bidding war, I'd just take 40. Those are my oh, two. With that ego, you're not letting three go out. You're getting that, that guy. Is that a Jay Edwards, Calvert Chaney? Uh, three, actually. Thank you for asking, Kevin. Uh, Jay Edwards is a huge part of it. My favorite player at IU is Jay Edwards. He was number three. Also, I am the third child. I was born on the third. And my very first Indianapolis 500, I watched Bobby Unser win in car number three, and it was his third 500. Boom, boom, boom. So there you go. And, and my birthday is nine, three, and nine divided by three is three. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, should we just in, get number three on? I was born in 72. If you add the seven and the two together, you get nine. Also divisible by three. Uh, Mark number three? Sure, sure. Cody. Cody. Hey. Cody, Cody. that's a great name. I like the name oh, Cody. You. <laughs> you ever been to Cody, Wyoming? Uh, no. No, I have not. If I go there, do you want me to steal you the sign that says, Welcome to Cody? Yes. Okay. Well. Cody, who's your favorite athlete of all time? Uh, I would say probably Peyton. Okay. How old a fella are you, Cody? Uh, 33. 33. Oh, okay. Cody, when's your birthday? Uh, June 17th, 89. There you go. Well, happy birthday next month. If you were going to, Cody, become an NFL quarterback, what jersey number would you wear? Uh, Probably seven. Lucky number. Oh, that's cool. Cody, are you from around here? Yeah, Beach Grove. Nice, Graduate. the Hornets. Yep. Now, did you go to Beach Grove High School? Yes. What year was Katie Gerald's? Was that before you? Yes, but I went to all her games. It was, it was pretty awesome. I mean, th- that is the most dominant high school performer. She or James Banks are the two most dominant high school athletes I've seen in Indianapolis. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that one game where she uh, scored, where they t- she uh, got fouled in the three and then hit the three free throws, but just send it. I mean, that's like the time. that has got to be the most underrated, iconic moment in the history of Indiana high school athletics. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And when you were there, Cody, the boys basketball team won a couple sectionals, right? Yeah, yeah, I was on the freshman squad and then didn't make it past then, but yeah, John, uh, John Hart, right? Yep, John Hart went to Purdue. Yep. Remember the game when you remember the game when they forgot to put John Hart's name in the scorebook and they got the technical for it? Really? Remember that at Purdue? That's not good. Yeah. Uh Cody, what uh, line of work are you in now? Uh work on uh for uh like access uh, like mobility stuff. Work okay. on elevators, stuff like that. Is that Otis? Do you work for the Otis folks? No. No, it's it's like a residential only. Okay, gotcha. Well, Cody, appreciate you calling in. Um, Jake, you want to throw number one towards Cody? All right, here we go, Cody. The Oakland Athletics own the worst record in Major League Baseball. They are six and twenty-three. Who is the second worst team in the majors? Is it the uh, Kansas City Royally Screwds, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Chicago White Sox, or the Colorado Rockies? Go with A. Okay. 
Uh, I'm still cleaning up from the big crowd at the draft. Uh, all right, on yeah, number yeah. two here, Cody, on this day in 1920, the first game of the Negro National Baseball League took place. Where was this historic game played? Pittsburgh, Chicago, Kansas City, or right here in Indianapolis? Not a big baseball fan, but I'm going to say Indianapolis. You're a smart fella. Cody, are you valedictorian at Beach Grove? No. Question number three for you, Cody. Anthony Richardson is the first quarterback taken by the Colts in the first round of the NFL draft since Andrew Luck in 2012. Luck, of course, was the first Colts quarterback taken in the first round since Peyton Manning in 1998. Who was the last quarterback taken by the Colts in the first round before Peyton Manning? And it happened actually a year after you were born. Uh, I'm going to say Jeff George just because you always talk about it. Look at this. Cody, Cody. All right, number four. <laughs> Anthony Richardson wore number 15 at Florida. That number is currently available on the Colts website. Name the last Colts QB to start a game wearing number 15. Was it A, Scott Tolzien? B, Josh Freeman, C, Mike Kirkland, or D, Earl Morrall? Uh, John Menard, Josh Freeman. You said Freeman? Yeah. All right, question five. Going back to the Colts' first-round draft picks. John Elway retired on this day in 1999. He, of course, was the first-round pick of the Colts in Baltimore when he refused to sign with them, and then, of course, they ended up trading him to the Denver Broncos. Which of the following did the Colts not get from Denver in return for John Elway? A. Now, so you're looking at the one outlier here, okay? Offensive tackle Chris Hinton. B. Denver's first round pick in 1984. C. Denver's third round pick in 1984. Or D. Quarterback Mark Herman. Uh, let's just go B. The first rounder? Yep. Okay. So jersey 15, uh, jersey number 14 for the Colts, his 23rd birthday today. Really? Levon, uh, Levon Brazil, right? Uh, no. Uh, Alec Pierce. I don't think that's a He's very good, a good player. number for a wideout, 14. Yeah, it's an odd one. I guess Stephon Diggs is pretty good, though. Um, all right, Cody, nice work. Uh, Kansas City Royals, second worst record? Uh, C. Uh, Correcto. Uh, Indianapolis for the yeah, first the ABCs, the by the way, which was named because not the ABCs. Many people think it's just the ABC simplicity. The American Beverage Company was the title sponsor of Indianapolis's Negro League teams. They had two teams. They had the Clowns and the ABCs. The ABCs probably the better of the two franchises. The Clowns were more of like a vaudeville act. The ABCs not only won championships. Oscar Charleston played for them. They played their game at Washington Park, which essentially is the grounds of today's Indianapolis. Yeah! Really? I still see some ABCs um, shirts yeah. around. It's cool stuff for sure. Uh, last quarterback taken first o- or in the first round before Manning. Yes, it was Jeff George. Yeah. Uh, question number four. I gave the Costco hint. Mike Kirkland started two games in jersey number 15 in 1978. Uh, Earl Morrill was a good quarterback. Actually, Earl Morrill went to the Super Bowl with two different franchises, filled in admirably when uh, Johnny Unitas was hurt, and then also filled in and helped the 
undefeated Dolphins before Bob Greasy returned and they won the Super Bowl. Uh, when the Colts traded John Elway, by the way, they received Denver's first-round pick in 83. They used it on Chris Hinton, who, ironically enough, was then traded later for Jeff George. Uh, they used the first-round pick in 84 on Ron Solt, who later uh, cut his finger and 19 steroids fell out. And then they also got Mark Herman. So they did not get Denver's third-round pick in 84. Uh, Josh Freeman, by the way, was number five. Uh, in case anyone forgets that season finale back in whatever year that was, 2015-16. Uh, number five, Scotty, Josh Freeman, Drew Stanton. Anybody else that Anthony Richardson will be following? Five seems like a good kicker number. That's a that's a good question there. Kerry Collins, 12 here, 5 with the Giants. So, yeah, uh, when the Colts get on the field for rookie minicamp coming up on Friday, it sounds like the number 5 jersey for Anthony Richardson. Cody, appreciate you calling in. Go Beach Grove, go. And we will round things out one final time here on Kevin and Corey. Uh, this is a good one from Greg Poley. I think the Anthony Richardson will take number 5. It all makes sense. Colts knew they were going to take Richardson, and he wanted 5. Gilmore wanted out, so they traded him to the Cowboys for a 5th rounder. Everybody wins, all associated with the number five. There you go. I like that. That's some good thought process. As my microphone breaks. I'm stunner. Uh, did you see the Colts player, Jake, who will be doing the same thing you're doing next Wednesday? Um, Having lunch at the hip hugger? Well, yeah, I don't know if you want to go down that route for Colts <laughs> players. Uh, so a Colt is graduated from college on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh-huh. Alec Pierce. No. Kevin is delicately switching microphones here. Yeah. Uh, is this a prominent player? Yes. Uh huh. Quitty Pay. No. Um, he's been with the Colts for quite a while. Did he begin with the Colts? Uh, no. No, he did not. DeForest Buckner. No. I give. Uh, Kenny Moore. Oh, that's cool. Kenny Moore from Valdosta State graduating this weekend. Now, do you get to keep the little uh, scarf dealio that has the school logo on it? I felt like the scarf I did keep. Yeah, I think so. I feel like turning the tassel is the big thing, right? Yeah, the, and the color of the tassel reflects oh, I forgot about what that, degree yeah. it is is that right i think that's correct you turn it from the right to the left or the left to the right you go from the right to the left right yeah i kind of forget that part of it you ever now, been to the uh kentucky derby i have never been i have always wanted to go i have a great respect for it because and i think it's because of my affinity for the 500 sure having an appreciation for what it means to people there my old kentucky home gets me every year um i, I love am, the pre-race stuff i'm obsessed with secretariat 50 year anniversary jake i know um and i mean going down to the farm where secretariat was sired and later retired was pretty awesome um as a matter of fact, when you go down there, they tell you the story about, you know, Sham was Secretariat's big rival. And 
Sham was one of the all-time great racehorses, just had the misfortune of being in the same class, if you will, with Secretariat. And when Secretariat was retired and was living back in, I believe it's called Claiborne Farms in Paris, Kentucky, he had a, a pasture where he basically hung out. Of course, you know, he did not have great stud success, truth be told, Secretariat, but they late in sham's life they brought sham and again this story probably gets embellished but it was fascinating to me when when you're on the tour they tell you this late in in both secretary and sham's life sham was brought to claiborne farm i I would assume for studying purposes but Secretariat was in his pasture, and there's a, another pasture right next to it. And of course, it's all separated by one long wooden fence. And they let Sham go into secret to the pasture next to Secretariat. And Secretariat was was like laying down or standing in the field. I guess would be standing. And Sham walked up next to him, and they both saw each other and nickered, and then paused for a split second and ran three lengths back and forth up and down the fence line, aside one another. And Secretariat beat him again. But Sham was a great horse. Secretariat, though, the greatest racehorse of all time. I love the Kentucky Derby to answer your question long-winded and circuitously, but I've never been because now it's the same Saturday as the mini. Um, But I would love to go. Obviously, last year, huge, huge upset with Rich Strike. The 80-1 to odds there. Um, Yesterday, they had the uh, drawings of Forte. Which I love Joe Forte at North Carolina. Do you remember him? I do. Yeah, he was one of my favorite players growing up. Uh, that's the favorite. He I, Is Baffert still banned? I, I believe so. I loved his hair. I always get Baffert and D-Wayne Lucas confused. Lucas has the cowboy hat, right? Baffert's just got the great hair. Which one wears the, like, Danny Sullivan sunglasses? That's uh, D-Wayne Lucas, right? Well, I mean, I feel like all of them are wearing sunglasses. It says Baffert oh, yeah. was banned for two years on June second, twenty twenty one. So this should be his second and final year of, of being banned. banned. And what yeah. was he banned for? The horse uh, Medina Spirits drug test. Some, yeah, that's, that's right. Say. I mean, wh- listen, they're not. You can't watch the horse twenty four hours a day. What they do in their own time. They're kids, kids get into trouble. <laughs> I would say there's a <laughs> lot three. of blurred lines in the old <laughs> horsing industry. They're only three for crying out loud, yeah. right? Yeah. So all males in the Derby is the Oaks, the females. Is that the difference between the Oaks on the Friday, and the Derby on the Saturday? Is that right? The Oaks is like their carb day. I know that. Oaks are two year old. That it's an age difference. Yeah. Not a sex difference. Now, when horses get banned, you know they're always depressed. Thus, the long face. In my opinion, that sucked. Right. Going out with a bang here. I don't know if I followed that one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, Kentucky Derby coming up. Mark, we're going to try and get somebody on? Yep. From a we'll try to get somebody. Gambling standpoint, obviously last Jake year. Jake wants me to probably get a, a hat person on to discuss the hats that people buy. Well, the hats are certainly something. It's kind of like the Met Gala last night. Or James Harden walking into the uh, TD Garden last night. If you had a racehorse, what would you name it? There was a really good name I saw in this year's field. Um, Practical Move. I like that. That's a good one. Uh, the other name I liked this year was Angel of Empire. See, I, I've i always thought Unequaled Equine would be cool. And then this one. Now, I can't say this on the radio. 
But I always thought that'd be a good name for a racehorse. Don't you think? Well, you can say that on the radio. What is it? Yeah, I don't know that you can. It's got oh, some. Oh, that's 100%. No, well, that's that's fine. I don't want to steal your name. I'll let yeah. you take the I'll, mic. I'll let you but... say it, Mark, so that you can get the violation. Me? Oh, thank you yeah. for throwing that softball. Hung like me? Yeah. yeah that's fine. I, I, it's fine. Okay. Upper that, quartile that, that, would be mine. That's <laughs> not bad. Upper quartile or educate and horse. entertain. That's where I'd go. <laughs> educate and entertain? Yeah. Maybe have two horses. One educate, one entertain. Oh, okay. Kentucky Oaks is for Phillies. The Derby can be either sex. Thank you here from IndyCar Complainer on Twitter. There we go. Now, Steve says, if you've never been to the Derby, you need to go. Run your 13 miles on Friday, then go to the Derby on Saturday. I could have done that 10 years ago. I'm going to be way too sore. I don't know that I'll be able to walk across the stage on Wednesday after running the Mini on Saturday. Well, they can wheel you up there. I'm sure you're not the first person to go to the hip hugger and be wheeled, you know, <laughs> somewhere after that. Probably right. I'm I do love that. I love the call of the derby. Oh, it's great. Um, it's great. You know, the down the stretch, and I think the announcer of the derby, I think, is a very difficult job. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> identifying cars, Jake. I mean, I know there's paint schemes that are very similar, but boy, I mean, you're just at the mercy no of a little bit of a color. And sure, their horse has a little bit of a different tent, but it's not like these jockeys are giving you a whole lot of difference. The I remember the first year that we did MotoGP, they brought in an, like an expert analyst. I was calling the race from the roof of the pagoda. He's like, now Pedrosa's bike has the small orange stripe on the front left fender. And I'm like, yeah, okay, man. Um, the guy that did Chick Anderson, I believe was his name, who was the original Kentucky Derby broadcaster on NBC in the Secretariat era and Seattle Slew and that group in the 70s. Uh, he, he was kind of the original, you know, broadcaster of it all. And he's from Indiana. I don't know if he's from Indianapolis. Beach Grove, maybe, or but somewhere he's in current? Indiana. No, 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 no. Oh, this way is like back. Back, back when the Derby really became a TV event. He was kind of the first guy. And the Derby's what? To do it all. 40 years older than the 500? Um, that like sounds that. 160 something. Is that what they're up to? I think we're approaching 150. Is that what it is? Okay. On that end. Um, I mean, I it's great. The I, only thing to make a mint julep better would be to put mayo in it. So now, uh, okay. Should we do on Friday? Should we try mint juleps? Because I've heard they're terrible. Uh, they are. I mean, it, I like bourbon, but no. It's way too much leafy for me. Have you had one, Mark? I don't think I have, no. Okay. I think a little douse of mayo would help it. <laughs> you just stick with that. Yeah, we will. Uh, podcast, Pat Fitzgerald, Will Hewlett, the quarterback's coach. What the hell, man? For That's Anthony Richardson. Everybody have a great Tuesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow, 7 a.m.